This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. Hello, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Stephen. Hi, I'm Marshall. And we're going to talk about uh, Four Futures, Life After Capitalism by Peter Fraze. Is that how you say his name? Fraze? Yes, that's how you say Peter's name. Uh, oh, good. Okay, now, uh, I believe, Will, you chose this, uh, or suggested this, and I was like, that's cool. We were going to do Red Plenty first, I think. Or were you going to do Red Plenty, and then you suggested this? Is that what happened? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll do both eventually. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think this was, uh, I think we picked this because we did Treconomics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, uh, anyway, I've known Peter for a long time, and uh, I knew he had written this book. And I'd like written, rather I'd read parts of the book before it was published, uh, but I'd never actually read the whole book. Uh, so I was like, oh, this seems related to Treconomics in like uh, a pretty like close way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Peter's, of course, like a huge Trekkie, so uh, that's, that's in uh, why I thought this would be a good book to read. And I think uh, uh, I can see the connections with Trekonomics. They didn't even mention Trekonomics in the book, so yeah. So I felt, uh, I felt like, oh, that's Star Trek, why anyways. This book. I don't think the mm-hmm. book. I don't think the book Trekonomics is mentioned. Is that? Yeah. No, no. Uh, he I doesn't make was. reference. Uh, well, he talks. He talks about, about the fr- like, the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he uh, and I think he kind of formulates it a little bit differently than uh, uh, than the other book did. Um, of course, like the the other book was written by uh, somebody who's like an economist and is like into capitalism, and Peter's you know like a like a socialist, so he's you know going to take a different mm-hmm. uh, uh, take on it. Uh, but it's it's kind of the same premise, though. Sorry, did you did you just say that you thought Manu Sadia was into capitalism? Yeah. <laughs> he's not he's oh. really not well he we did read the book though he is very socialist <laughs> well i mean yeah but he they, i mean uh, he refers we'll to see. star trek is like capitalism in the 24th century it's very like it's like so it's like socialism for capitalists yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, aka non-socialism um i i want to just um ask about the cover so on the cover there's a bunch of different covers there's like a little conveyor belt to the future right and then there's four images. One of them is like a, a skull, and then there's one that's a lock, and one is a, a martini glass, or either that or a wine glass, and then there's another like a watering can. And I guess they're supposed to symbolically represent the four futures. Is that correct? Am I? That's the way I, I wrote. So. That. I would say yeah. so. Okay, so which which one is which? Okay, I, I get the lock is about the DRM and copyright and. And uh, the copyright maximalist future worth rentism, I guess, right? I, I can take that. I can yeah. take that. Yeah, because I think yeah, you get this issue where you have his like his whole setup, and he creates like a political compass, right? So you have like a, a north south of equity and hierarchy, and mm-hmm. then east west of abundance and scarcity, All right. and into those four quadrants, all the different political things. Yeah, and so then- you have communism. Hmm? Yeah, no, I was just, okay, yeah, because so, uh, it depends on the cover, right? So, like, some of them, it's all, <laughs> like, they literally are different images, which, you know, I am I might be over-reading this, but that's, I'm 
very much into <laughs> illustration and images. So yeah. are we all looking at the same image? Cause, yeah, um, there's the yeah. skull, there's the 3D printer, and it's printing a lock. Oh, 3D printer, uh, okay. It, Interesting. It. Yeah, there's like the, it's laying down the, the filament, and it's, yeah. Wow, okay. Oh, those yeah. little, so oh, the, oh, I get it now, okay. I was wondering what the, yeah. what is those black things are. I thought they were like, almost like typeface, you know, like, insert letter here on a word processor. No, it's a 3D printer filament, got it. Yeah, and so like it's and so then it's on the little tables, and the tables are you know going back and forth. Yeah, which, I thought it was a conveyor uh, belt here. So it, it really depends. So there there are multiple images. The one I put in the audiobook is um, there's a lock first, and it's going into a box. And then the second one is a skull going into a box. Third one is a plant going into a box, and then the last one is a martini going into a box. And there are the the boxes are a conveyor belt, and the the uh, Items hang, are hanging above or seemingly about to be placed in the boxes, right? And then there's a, the one that's on the paperback, I guess, um, has it as two uh, la- layers of conveyor belt. And in that case, it's a wine glass and a watering can rather than a, a, a potted plant in a, a martini glass. And so, yes, you, I, I'm also seeing this um, socialism, communism, exterminism, and rentism, right? As you're saying, a, a political compass, scarcity versus abundance, equality versus hierarchy, and class struggle on one axis and ecology on the other. So there, there are multiple images um, associated with this. If just go to Google, type in Peter Frey's Four Futures and hit images. Or maybe DuckDuckGo and <laughs> whatever. Um but uh, I'm I'm fairly clear on on the skull. That's exterminism, right? Where we're all going to get plowed under, uh, or the uh, the trucks from um, Make Room Make Room are coming for us to turn us into food for the other security guards. Soylent Green, yes. yeah. <laughs> the Soylent Green future, right? Um, so what what is the the martini glass represents uh, the isn't that the same as Con- the exterminism? Yeah. No, that's the communism. Oh, martini glass is communism? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Say that again, Will? Say again, Will? Luxury communism. Luxury yeah, communism. Yeah. All right. Uh, Peter probably has like a, like a more like, like Banksian idea of like communism. Bank- Banksian, like the... the- the like guy Ian who, M. Banks. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I was thinking like that. That guy who is like a graffiti famous graffiti yeah, artist. Like yeah. Culture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Culture futures seemingly reasonable in some ways. Um, so, what's the plant represent? Socialism. We like have to rebuild our relationship with the earth. There's scarcity, but like we have equality. Uh huh. Okay. It's Green right. New Deal. Green New Deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Um, yeah, I'm not sure this is, uh, this book hangs together as a book, but I like each individual essay. Yeah, I feel the same way about it. I think that, uh, um, like some parts of it are stronger than others. Um, I felt like, uh, you know, you kind of want like the section on communism to be like, like, like the most compelling part of the book. And I felt like <laughs> it was kind of like, like one of the least compelling parts of the book. Cause it was just like. Communism is the replacement of like everything bad with new bad things. 
<laughs> and like, I, I mean, I know Peter's kind of doing that intentionally, uh, but uh, it's also just sort of like, I don't know. And then like the, the political contribution there, uh, I think is like, like openly undermines itself where it's like, all right, so like UBI is our road to communism. But like also, by the way, um, we can't like actually rely on UBI as a road to communism because like the bourgeoisie will not let us. Um, like the sort of, uh, uh I, I don't know. I, um, I felt like the, uh, the section on wrenches was a lot stronger. Um, mm. uh, and you kind of, uh, you know, you had more to talk about there. Yeah, for sure. There. I, I, I agree. I mean, I could see that road much more than to communism. than like, like, right. There's like, yeah, I, even that bad. bad future. Yeah. And rentism felt very tangible. Um, very compared. plausible. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to uh, send everybody this uh, picture I've just Googled up. Um, it's the the axis with uh, for the four futures on it. And then I, I like the things in the corner, the extreme corners. So under future communism, it's... Uh, imagine, I don't know, Star Trek, question mark. And then under socialism is imagine Cuba in the 1990s, after the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, and exterminism is children of men, Mad Max, and Elysium. So that, uh, Elysium uh, is explicitly called out in the, in that, uh, essay or chapter or whatever. As is, as is Mad Max. Oh, yeah. We don't spend any time in it, though. That's the fun part, right? I mean, Mad Max is, you should you should really get into it. <laughs> You're gonna get into it. He just mentions it. Where well, he does talk quite a bit about Elysium, which is yeah, not a And great. I don't have to rewatch it because I remember watching Elysium and thinking it's a little too on the nose and it's a little too mannered in trying to make a political point rather than as as a good story. But after after reading it's like oh, well, Yeah, it was liberal preaching is what it was. It's like yeah, we ought to be better people, otherwise we're gonna be like this. Meanwhile, voting for Nancy Pelosi again. <laughs> it's like it's really really terrible. Um in the top right hand corner it's uh it's the rentism and it says imagine Black Mirror's fifteen million merits episode. Which oh, is God, that is a that is a terrifying episode. It is a terrifying episode, and of course, that's most people's lives. Um, it, I is think. that the one with, where everybody with all the likes? Uh, yeah, that? that is. A, I think that's a related, and that's in there. But it's the guy on the bike who's goes on the game show at the end, right? And he's. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh well, it's it's devastating. Adventure just becomes a. A ranting TV show host that's part of the system, not really changing anything. Why am I conflating two Black Mirror episodes together? It's very easy. To, it's very easy. I know, to a, but I know that they, they kind of blend together. But I kind of, I'm not sure if one is the other. But, but is it the one where he? I mean, is the one on the bike the one with the girl? Yeah, that, there's uh, a girl. <laughs> okay, yeah. So he, he doesn't wind up ending at ending his time as a like a ranting TV show host. Yes, the angry black man, as it were. Just, but, but just part of the system. He so, became yeah. he became part of the system. That was his he plan all along. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You, you go on America's Got Talent, and if you're good that's enough, right. you can you can get out. Have you seen this one, Will? Because that seems like a critique that you're sort of oh, doing yeah. by watching your shows. Yeah, yeah, no, that episode rules. <laughs> but I, I like the I like the one where people have the likes more. That's like 
Yeah, I mean they're... that's more like the communist dystopia as described by uh, as described by uh, like Peter by way of Cory Doctorow, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, th- those are great. Uh, those are great episodes, Misa. You should you should seek out that. I, oh, I'm going like to watch it as soon as we stop. There we go. <laughs> Uh, be prepared to be bummed out for a while, although it's it's enjoyable. It's just it, it's it, not it's not a it brings you to the truth, and then you you have to sit with it for a while, and then cry for a while, and then and then have lunch and live with it, and and after and lunch, lunch you have to say, oh yeah, I remember that. That was pretty horrible. Um, yeah. So I, I keep uh, you know I'm still. Uh, Working my way through Deep Space Nine, you guys on the Mr. Android and Mr. Asset, you did a show recently on on it, and I I think you do a lot of Deep Space Nine, don't you? Yeah, we're we're doing a like a complete watch through where we talk about uh, all of the episodes. Uh, yeah, that's not all you do though, right? You do other stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like on the alternating weeks, we talk about a variety of sort of whatever whatever we find interesting. But uh, so it's like. We have, it's almost like we have two bi-weekly shows. One where we talk about science fiction in general, and then one where we talk about uh, Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. So I just I just finished the episode. I'm getting close to the end of Deep Space Nine. I've not having watched it since it originally aired. Um, I just finished an episode where at the beginning, you know, the opening teaser or whatever it's called, Odo and um, Chief O'Brien are coming back from a conference, and uh, Odo bought two gifts at the gift shop before they left for uh, Kira. Uh, one was like a, a doodad or something. No, no, it was a, one, a collectible thing you put on a shelf. What are those things called? Anyways, tchotchke, something like that. It was like a crystal or something, right? Not a dilithium crystal, just a regular pretty crystal. And then uh, a box of Denebian chocolates or something. And, and uh, I'm still at the point of, I'm still trying to reconcile trigonomics with, with the actual Star Trek, because so much is missing. He that book is so light, yeah. lightweight. Um, but basically, Chief O'Brien says to Odo, "Oh my God, I didn't get anything for Keiko. Can I buy one of those things from you?" And then they get attacked by uh, some Jem'Hadar, right? So <laughs> and Odo's like saying no, but <laughs> he's not saying no because we don't have any uh, economic system that won't won't allow the purchase of it. He's saying no because I need to give two gifts to Kira. Um, so I'm still trying to understand, like, when when they go into this uh, hollow suite and they're paying Quark rent and Quark pays rent to the Federation for the space. How is, how is all this working? Peter Phrase, uh, Peter Phrase doesn't go into that at all, right? But which section are we talking about? Ooh. Is this the exterminism, well, I, rentism, I, I socialism, or communism? I think he. Uh, I think you're not being fair to Peter here. I think no, I'm not. I, I'm not putting it on Peter. I'm putting it on the old Trekonomics book. The the no, Sandy. No, you said Peter. Uh, well, okay. I know that. Okay. A couple things. Yeah. Peter would have a canned response to uh, to to that question. Though, okay. I think uh, Jesse. But which 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 one are we? Which ones? He's saying communism. The future communism is the Star Trek future. Um, okay, let's. But, yeah. but he also, he also, if you remember the in the closing, he says like none of the systems will like uh, exist by itself, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so like that's going to be Peter's like canned response to that, right? Like he's already thought of this. Let the asset speak. <laughs> okay, so my name's Stephen. Oh, Stephen, <laughs> sorry. And uh, and I think like we need to we need to set a lane here. I think because there's an issue there's an issue with DS 9s internal contradiction to the next generation. There is the contradictions between Star Trek canon and the book and four futures and a contradiction between four between four futures and uh, Trekonomics, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I guess like we kind of where are we going? I don't know where we're at. <laughs> well, I, 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 he's uh, phrase is pretty harsh on uh, Bitcoin and start, starts talking about Dogecoin. I, I say Doge, Doge yes. but they're saying Doge. I don't know. Doge, yeah, say Doge. Doge coins like dog. Doge. It's definitely Doge. Doge. Doge? Okay. Doge. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely Doge. Um, I don't know. Uh, how is Bitcoin related to any of this? Um, uh, that's sort of how I feel about this book. Is like there's a lot going on. He's talking about a lot of possibilities. Um. And then he says in this chart here, the way things are going is towards extremism. Uh, sorry, exterminism, not extremism. So uh, am I going to be able to uh, buy those chocolates from uh, Odo is my question. <laughs> so I don't know, Marshall, if you want to take this, but I, I think the issue with uh, the Federation is the Federation is itself post-currency. And this is a lot of what he's talking about in Treconomics. So Marshall can probably explain this better than I can. But what happens when you have money is a tool by which we disperse material goods, right? Mm-hmm. Money, money is a mechanism by which we decide who gets what, where, when, and how. Uh, the, the, in Star Trek, they're in a place where they are beyond money. So there is an incongruence when the Federation interfaces with groups such as the Bajorans that don't exist in a wild post-scarcity future or the Ferengi, right? Who have who still have a money system. Yeah, yeah for well, sure. The economics dealt with that was to say there would always be scarce resources that would sort of be material of trade. That's that's how I recall it. Mm-hmm. Being explained away. The the parking but segment there, of this of just, book. Uh, uh, you know, it's yeah, you sometimes you'll have to trade dilithium or something with the uh, I think he uses dilithium as the example of a yeah, scarce y- resource. Y- yeah. Because, that, because that's clearly shown in the Star Trek universe to be something that is limited and something that the Federation will politically move towards. I mean, a lot of old episodes, you know, took well, oh, there's dilithium on this planet, so we need to keep this from the Klingons. I think I think that's how the the, the whole Organians, I think. Well, so, yeah. There's also no. But that still never explains how a Federation citizen can trade with Odo, whatever he is, a Bajoran citizen. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, so Deep Space Somehow Nine, Bajoran adjacent. They, they, it would be latinum yeah, they'd be trading, right? Gold press latinum. Would, yes, probably. Maybe uh, uh, with, with Odo, it's it's tricky, right? Because uh, he is a Bajoran citizen, and so um, there's a Bajoran currency that's mentioned in uh, an early episode, and I can't remember what it's called now. So he he may actually be interested only in that currency and not in in gold press latinum. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's Jarrell. But I, 
just completely off topic. Is Ardo Bajoran citizen? Because he predates pre- 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 the, the liberation of Bajor. He came onto the Cardassian station and worked for the Cardassians. So what is his legal <laughs> well, status? He is closest to Bajor. I always... He's a permanent resident of Bajor. Yeah, permanent resident, landed immigrant, or what? Odo, Odo wears a Bajoran uniform and is in, is instantiated in the Bajoran uh, constabulary. <laughs> so he works for the Bajoran government. So he is at least a landed, in our contemporary standard, he's at least a landed, a landed immigrant. immigrant. <laughs> what about and Rom? He's, he's wearing a Bajoran uniform. Come on. Like, wait, what is Odo? <laughs> He's not Ferengi, though, and so Gold Press Latinum may not interest him. Though, because you're dealing with Quark, you need to have some sort of interchange there, because Quark will only accept Gold Press Latinum. Uh, so there's got to be some sort of exchange rate between uh, Bashar and Currency and, and Gold Press Latinum. <laughs> I think but that happens in Warren's stomach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's the medium of all exchange. He's the Bitcoin miner for the, for the station. <laughs> Oh, dear God. <laughs> uh, sitting there at the bar, that's why he's needed. <laughs> to link it back to for futures, though, uh-huh. uh, Bitcoin's important because Bitcoin is a uh, gold bug, being a gold bug for nerds. Yeah, ish. Ish. Uh, I think he he's very dismissive of it in here. And the thing is, is it has the virtues that gold bugs have. Right. That, you know, this is something concrete. This is outside of the government, all that. But also, uh, you know, the what's the alternative is U.S. dollars and uh, having your shit locked down by, you know, the empire so that you can't get it out. Like poor Venezuela's, you know, funds in London are seized and given to Juan Guaido. Right. You can't do that with Bitcoin. But you can't do that with Bitcoin. You absolutely could. Like, I mean, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin is ultimately just attached to a password. So, you know, like you could lose control of that too, right? Like, right. But if, if I have the password and I'm, I, I don't need to keep my gold in London, right? I can keep it wherever. I have the access to my own account. My own account's on my computer. I don't have to. I, I, I'm not, it's not a, it's not being quote unquote gate kept, right? By, like a guy with a. I don't see why a, a state, in particular an empire, couldn't, if they can sanction a US dollar account of some Chinese official, why couldn't they do that to someone's Bitcoin account? Well, it doesn't seem to be allow. It doesn't seem to well, be no, allowable. This is, okay, this is an interesting thing about US sanctions, okay? So, US sanction law to work, uh, you need to have what's called a point of contact, okay? So, if I'm a business person and I want to sell something to Venezuela, I have to make sure that my transaction is free of contact with it. so it means it cannot um, it cannot use any american financial system or an allied state financial system because they won't do the business because they're afraid of sanction it can't involve us dollars and it can't involve transit through any part of the us and that includes digital transit right <laughs> so any part of the communication of this transaction passes through the US it becomes sanctionable and this is i think a big issue for bitcoin in the sense that i don't know if it's been sanctioned i also don't think like venezuela and iran have a big interest in bitcoin largely because well venezuela made its own coin that's you know that's but the, they did their own cryptocurrency because they're trying to uh, and it doesn't seem to have taken off because it's it doesn't mine the same way as bitcoin does right 
but this is it it is a alternative to using uh, a system that literally requires somebody to open a key right you've got the key uh, the reason the mining thing is happening, right? People are mining Bitcoin is not to unlock new Bitcoin. I mean, that is why they're doing it. But the effect is to make every point of mining a verification bank, right? That this yeah. th- this well, thing is being transferred. Jesse, I know a few people who play around with cryptocurrencies. They use basically use it to store value. They basically do use it just as gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but, they never buy anything. So it's just they, well, there are very, very few places that will accept it in exchange, right? That's like you can go to most stores and say, "Oh, I have Bitcoin. Do you take it?" Well, uh, speaking as a miner, <laughs> I didn't mine much, but I did it because it was interesting, um, and I wanted to understand it better. Um, I didn't go to uh, online stores and buy anything. But I did use it as a payment to a website that I thought was doing a good job, just as he sort of points to in this with Dogecoin, right? He's saying it's a sort of a Reddit credit, um, a hat tip or what is a coffee? You know, these are all sorts of, uh, it's like a pay, a one-time Patreon sort of thing. Um, lots of websites that are quote unquote shady, <laughs> if there is such a thing, are very accepting and prefer bitcoin not just because it's you know free of contact with with banks but also because it it has value it has value that's con- convertible but it it's going up and up and up and you know we can talk about whether that is uh you know a real thing or not i don't really care about you know what its ultimate fate is because the ultimate fate is the heat death of the universe what i'm caring about is that it it is the thing that they say it is, right? That is, it's not, you can't stop somebody from transferring Bitcoin to somebody else. So uh, just as a question, yep. um, you, you said that it has value. Two people. People yeah, want so, it. So what do people, what, how do they value it? They say, please, if you're considering donating to us, please give us Bitcoin. Yes, yes. But, but what do they... For what do they exchange it to say this is how valuable it is? Um, well, in my case, I had some Bitcoin <laughs> that I'd mined, and I said, "Hey, I have this Bitcoin I mined, and this website I use really likes Bitcoin." And I said, "You know what? I'm going to give you some Bitcoin because I like what you do." And so I don't know what they did with it, but I'm sure they did something with it, or maybe they're just sitting on it. But it's the same with gold. Right or gold? Pro, pro, why anybody wants latinum makes no sense to me, right? <laughs> why anybody wants uh, little bits of green paper fluttering about and moving from place to place? I, I don't understand that either. But what I do know is there's demand for it. People I want. Mean, it. I can I can tell you one reason why people want, you know, a national currency. Go for it. Uh, you have to pay your taxes in your national currency. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. You, you can't pay your taxes in Bitcoin. Yet. Yet. We'll yeah. see. At all. Uh, I don't think any government will ever accept it because that undermines when their that happens. national sovereignty. Uh, yeah, that might that might be a, a feature rather than a bug in some cases. I mean, I, I think... Certainly for some people. It'd be, it'd be a, a very valuable thing if one country, you know, could mine its Bitcoin better than another. 
right? But <laughs> I'm not I'm not even wedded to Bitcoin. It's just um it, it seemed very dismissive uh in this in this particular article. And I was thinking like well why? There's a level to this because it's, it's not, not just, just bu- gold bug. Mm-hmm. It's it's a national currency it's in demand because it can be used for everything, right? So I think this is a point David Graeber made, maybe in the debt book, or maybe it was one of his talks. Mm-hmm. Like if governments, this is way back in like, not caveman days, you know, Bronze Age days. If states could just own the mines, why didn't they just mine their gold and, you know, why have taxes at all was essentially the question. If they could just control the mines. Mm-hmm. And the reason was is because the government needs to buy things with that gold. So it needs markets. Mm-hmm. And so it, that's why all these bronze age states or iron age states, I should say, like axial age states created, you know, national currencies. Makes sense. But uh, it wasn't just paying taxes. It was, it was actually for, all, you know, purchasing all the things that yeah, you the government pers- purchase mercenaries, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, because with it, what well, kind of service that they might So fiat currency gives you the capacity to do social spending, right? You can't do any of, you can't do the universal basic income on Bitcoin. You can't do a universal <laughs> basic income on the gold window. You can't have a giant military, you know, <laughs> or any of these things that way, right? Because with it, you have, you give the state, wealth and value are social relationships, okay? And when the state says it is going to intercede in that social relationship and make determinations about how value is distributed in economy, it's very important. And I think it's necessary for any progressive socialist future. And I know this is going to get me in trouble with ANCOM people or whatever, but I think money is super important. What kind of people? I didn't hear the... ANCOM. What what is that? Anarcho-communists. Anarcho-communists? Okay. Uh, Are those the libertarians? Well, I don't know. I don't think... I think they would dislike that. Okay. I don't agree with that. I don't even know what they are. So, I mean, I, I've read, I've read some anarcho-communist books, I think, but I'm not all down with the lingo. Uh, okay. Um, it's going to get in, get you into trouble with these guys by saying what? Well, basically, like money is important. And one of the problems people have with money is money is a form of coercion, right? Yes. Money is a way that the state tells people what they can and cannot have. Right. And, wh- and what they can't do, think, you get fined, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. That yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's part of it too. So it's it's a tool of coercion, and this I think tends and this puts some people on edge, right? It gets people concerned about money, but I think I guess I'm from the opinion that a so it is not antithetical for a socialist state to exercise some form of coercion, and this gets into my grand narrative of the book and how he. And what Frace does in terms of political typology, right? Because in a sense, he's adapting a political compass, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so what you get, so when you have a political compass, uh, the political compass posits that you have two options as a state, right? You have two things you can act on. You can pull levers on people, which is the north-south individual liberty hierarchy versus equality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the nor- yeah, and then you have one lever on people, and you have another lever on the economy, right? And mm-hmm. that's and that's the that's the you know state controlled industry to total market deregulation or whatever. So that, if we're talking about political congress, oh yeah, go for it. And that poses a dangerous idea, right? Because it puts forward the idea that the government that the government can act on the economy, and that 
by assuming there is a large e economy that exists. Because that it doesn't, right? And this is and this is part of the thing that happens then in the 1980s when you know you have like Vienna, uh, the you know the Vienna School and the Reagan Revolution, all these things, is the right wing actually comes forward and says, "Listen, the economy is not a thing. You can't actually put levers on the large e economy." And they're right about that. Now, they then say the only way to be fair then is to switch to social Darwinism, which is a total crock of shit and insane, <laughs> <laughs> right? But they but they do that, right? And so. But by, by, by nesting his pro, by using essentially a political encompass to interpret his four futures and to structure them, what he does is then he imports the logic of then, of a politics that is again created first by this divergence of one, you are arrived, we are saved by technological replicator messiah, or we fall into total climate catastrophe, right? On the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have, we will either pass the moral test that this challenge presents us, or we will fail it. Right? And that comes in the form then of, of rentism, exterminism, and communism, socialism. Right? So we have to get, so for us to have a good future, according to Frace, we have to one get to rep, get replicator heaven, have receive receive the gift of replicators, and then have the moral, have the socially moral fortitude to seize the communist future. And that to me is where my central problem with this book lies, right? In the way I, that I don't think he would say moral. I think he would use class struggle as a framework. Okay, sure, yeah. But what I think this is this is exactly it, right? Then what is class struggle, right? How do we do class struggle? And, and this falls into this what I call like the two a.m. undergrad problem, right? I think we've all been <laughs> young people, seventeen, eighteen years old, and you're up late at night and you're talking to your friend. You maybe you're a little high, maybe you're a little drunk. And you're just like, dude, socialism is the answer. And your friend is like, no, man, we need uh, complete fascism. And you argue <laughs> That's not my or friend. You eventually get okay, <laughs> or whatever. You know, I, I grew up in rural Alberta. Uh, <laughs> you get to a point where you're just saying, like, well, listen, man, humans are, humans are fundamentally good. And that's what's going to let us have a communism. Or humans are fundamentally evil. And that's why we need to strong arm them and break them down into the molds we need to have a functional society, and that and you and you arrive at deadlock. You can't move forward. And this is the thing that is missing. I think is that in every political philosophy, you have to structure the human subject that you are supposed to govern with your device, right? Hmm. And, and Frace doesn't do this. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't address the the psychology of the people. He doesn't structure the human subject, and in doing so, abdicates responsibility for defining that, and then defaults to kind of normative understandings about human nature. And this is the thing where we tie into coercion. So my background is largely in, like, educational psychology. And kind of in, one of the things they talk about in therapy and stuff is this notion of uh, what's called a strong self, which is, like, a part, uh, a version of yourself that you use against your own self later on. Right. So you can correct. So anyone who's tried to, you know, lose weight or, you know, give up smoking or whatever has done this in some way or form. Right. They say, I'm going to make decisions now. They're going to limit my capacity to do things. This is called marriage, I, right? Not <laughs> I promise to love, honor and obey you. God damn it. I, why am I doing this? OK, it's going to work out for me later. Yeah. Marriage is a good thing. You you promise to have you to make certain commitments. Right. Yeah. Your past self does something that blocks you from doing things you might want to do later, mm -hmm. right? And that, that, is coer that is a form of coercion. But it's a form of coercion we put on ourselves 
and we kind of opt into, right? Uh, and I think this is more like this issue of like, when we talk about what coercion is going to look like, if we as a left, if the left movement and the progressives say, we don't want anything to do with coercion, we can't organize, we can't move forward, we can't have a class struggle, and we can't fight uh, class warfare that's being waged on us by the capitalists. Hashtag force the vote is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm not saying force the vote. And force the vote has, has like, force the vote partially has all these problems, right? Because it's something... <laughs> Well, that's unpopular with with the with the elites, right? Who, yeah, but it's like it's not it's not really a solution, right? Because who want jobs? Of, <laughs> yeah, because it's like no, it wasn't a solution. It was a technique, right? It's a technique to expose, right? That these people aren't your friends, and these people are not going to get you that socialist heaven you're hoping for. They're not going to get you the Green New Deal. They're not going to get you any of this. They're they're just they found a new way to. You know, it's it's like um, I keep thinking about what what happened on the sixth, right? Um, it's like there was some line I think it was uh, from Will's tweet about Mao. Um, oh no, it's somebody else's tweet about Mao and uh, you know what if if Trump was actually as uh, strong as everybody, well, as strong as or such a danger, they would say you know like he would take over. He would just, well, I was saying it, he would nationalize Twitter, right? <laughs> just like physically send in the troops, seize the, the computers, tell the employees there that they now work for the government, and reinstate his account. <laughs> if he was actually any of the things that, you know, he wants to be. But he ain't that smart. And he is a, he's a weak seed, right? <laughs> he's, it, it, the only reason his, his shitty, uh, weeds are growing is because the the land has been you know so desiccated Blasted, from other yes. uh, from other uh sources right so uh, the fact that he can get you know whatever kind of movement happening there <laughs> su such a weak little i mean it, it, people are treating it like it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the united states and it's like this this happened this is nothing right this is i mean five people died that happens like if you blink in China on one day in any city, right? It's it's just it's it's nothing. As a as a, I'm, it's bad for each individual, but it wasn't like a big deal. Some furniture got broken, but people are saying, "Oh no, now we have to check every computer." It's insane, right? So what I'm what I'm thinking here is on this political compass. I'm looking at it, and I just remember when I do this, when I've done the political compass with students or family members or whatever. Um, everybody ends up in the same grid, right? There's, there's a couple of, you know, points of deviation, but everybody's in the bottom left-hand corner. And the people who aren't, you know, they're like teenagers who are, you know, thinking that libertarianism is the greatest thing and they, they make some sort of foolish things. But over time, everybody has the same values, except for the serial killers, right? And the, you know, the oligarchs who have it really good. They'll say weird things to, you know, keep what they have. But everybody else is pretty much, you know, hey, let's, uh, we all have to work in a community and all that. So if, if this political compass thing, I, I'm very skeptical about the, the political compass, not this particular one that he's using. Um, it, I just think about like when they place people, nobody's in the bottom right hand corner. You no, know, Hitler oh, might be in the, 
uh, Hitler's in the top right hand corner, and they see him, Margaret Thatcher's over here, and you know, and the, you know they put Bernie Sanders on it. Like, okay, yeah, well, how are you testing them? You're putting in what you yeah. think their answer would be, right? Yeah, because ultimately everyone believes that that coveted bottom left hand corner is their perspective, and this is the function of ideology. Yes, right? ideology takes you and gets you to realign your sense of what your interests are with the dominant class, right? And this this is fundamentally the thing, and this is ideally, I think, then the weapon that socialists have against them is through the critique of ideology and the tool of dialectical materialism, right? And and so this is the thing that we really need, is you've got to have a sense that there is like a, a conceptual superstructure and a material base, and, you know, and by analyzing those things and, and understanding the way they create pressures on you as an individual, you are led to certain conclusions or away from certain conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key. That's the key to this like whole awakening that everyone t- keeps talking about, including their incredible right wing. You know, we talk about, you know, we talked to, before when we were offline, uh, we were talking about Q shaman, like this guy <laughs> who up at all the Q values, and then was a very prominent figure at, uh, on the 6th. So it's January 10th, January 6th. Uh, he dressed know. for success. Come on. Yeah, so, you know, but he... Just for the job he wanted. <laughs> yeah, so my, I mean, in a lot of ways, like, my reaction to the six was jealous. <laughs> that, that, that uh, you know, that, that, you know, that, that the people who could get mobilized were the dumbest, sloppiest, <laughs> craziest fucking idiots. And now that they've done this, there's going to be a new domestic terrorism law, there's going to be a new mandate for all kinds of surveillance, Inside and outside the United States, this is going to get deported. This is going to get sent out to all the NATO allies, including Canada. And they were going to provide the future justification for the tools that are going to be applied against Black Lives Matter and other aspects of the progressive left movement. Uh, we got Brian uh, Alexander finally joined us. He was busy futurizing the world for us. <laughs> there, Brian? Well, it'll be a lot easier if Google Calendar actually obeys me. <laughs> Well, well, it's it's uh, Sergey Brin and uh, the other dude. They're gonna have to go into the chopping block pretty soon, I think. I was I was tweeting about how um, it's the billionaires' world now, and all we can do is order the best five star guillotine kit from Amazon and AliExpress and drive in our Tesla Cybertrucks to the to the beheading sites. That's all we can do now. So you really like the exterminism model. Um, <laughs> It's reverse exterminism. It w- only exterminate those who think that exterminism is uh, is the only way. <laughs> well, I, exterminate the exterminators. That's correct. Before you guys get all Dalek on me, I should say, I mean, I'm, I'm a professional futurist. I read the article that Fraze wrote that kicked us off when it came out. Did some blogging about it. Read the book when it came out. Um, and I, th- I think one of the funny things about the book... And who says it can't be funny is um, he says he's not doing a work of futurism and then basically sets out to do exactly a work of futurism. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, one of the things, you know, that's bad about futurism is anybody can, you know, declare themselves one. What I yeah. notice you do is you're very careful. Um, the the famous line that gets trotted out for every futurism book I've ever seen, except for maybe one. Uh, is uh, futures here? It's just not evenly distributed yet. Uh, uh, from you know Gibson. Um, the thing is, is that's actually true. That's the why it's people. You know, if if you're if you're talking about whatever it is, 
It's actually true. So uh, looking at that political compass and thinking like, so I spend a lot of time in the rentism section, as in worrying about it and fighting against it. You know, I'm very much in favor of the public domain and I'm pushing it on people all the time. And I'm, you know, talking about why all the copyright maximalists uh, have their heads up their asses and are um, jealously hoarding shit that is garbage uh, and restricting things that are wonderful. Um, but because of that, and uh, I'm spending so much time on it, I, I know a lot about post-scarcity when it comes to knowledge books, etc. You know, not physical, physical product as much as digital. And, and I'm, I'm, te- I'm telling you from this part of the future, um, the treasure is wonderful and everybody's invited to have some because every time you dip in, it doesn't take away from the treasury, right? It's, it's yeah, like right. the ultimate fiat currency <laughs> because you yeah. can just make more. And it, the Jeff- whole- oh, right? about, uh, candles. Um, tell me more. Uh, I used to have it memorized, but basically if, uh, if Jesse's holding a candle out and, Maisa shows up and wants to ignite her candle. All she has to do is mm. dip her candle in Jesse's, and Maisa's candle lights up, and Jesse has lost nothing. Right. The, uh, my lighting your candle doesn't ruin my candle. Yeah. Uh, Indeed. Yeah. In fact, the only the only thing that I think people don't spend enough time thinking about in this in this section of anti-rentism um, is basically that the winnowing of figuring out what is valuable. Oh, you know, the most valuable, the Arkenstone of this treasure hoard, you know, what, what's so wonderful. That's the hard part. It's not the getting of the goods. It's the discussion of, you know, is this really have merit? It's, you know, I, I have this w- amazingly cool poem from 1865 that's only ever been published once. And every time I share it with somebody that they really enjoy it. Um, the fact that it's been suppressed for so long by, uh, you know, the material restrictions of printing and copyright is the horrible part. It, getting it out there into people's hands and letting them read it and enjoy it, that's the, that's the hard part. That's the new struggle, right? Now, I'm sure not everything is equally replicable. But I got to tell you, as a guy who doesn't work very much, as in number of hours per day, um, it's wonderful. I got a lot of time to spend time looking at all these treasures and sharing it with people. And I think that's the future we should be fighting for. I, I assume the doctor, you know, my doctor is, she's on vacation so much. It's very hard to get an appointment with her. Right. Um, there's lots of wonderful things that we can do and they won't all require us to, uh, behead people all the time. Did we, uh, talk about fully automated luxury communism already? It, let's talk about it because I'm not a big fan of Elysium as a film. Uh, I think it it it's very obvious, you know. It's, a, it's very didactic. It's a dumb movie. But, it's a uh, it's a dumb movie. It's a fun action film, uh, but don't ever think about it again. Is what I'm thinking. A, 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 the mechanics of the space station and the air, yeah, make me see red. But you know, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. So let's talk about it. So this is the idea that um, if if we take uh, one of the phrases, two main drivers, we take automation, uh, and then we push that really hard, uh, we should get to the point of the future that um, uh, Keynes mentioned, where you know you only work fifteen hours a week or less, um, and that this gets you to the point of uh, 
you know, plenty and abundance and post-scarcity. Um, and, uh, you know, this is really that fourth um, scenario that phrase offers. And it's um, and people play, have fun with the name. If you if you Google around, you'll find the Brits are especially excited. You get space communism. Hmm. You get hmm. fully fully automated luxury gay communism. Uh, you get all kinds. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think in many ways that this kind of Star Trek slash Ian Banks culture. Um, I mean, this is this is very exciting. Um, you know, the, uh, I think there are all kinds of obstacles and a lot of the obstacles come from the left. Uh, you know, because the left still has a strong uh, anti-technological strain. Um, it now includes a, uh, an anti-science strain. Uh, and I think there's also that uh, fear uh, that people will be slackers, and we don't want to let that happen. Um, I, a moral I, hazard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the evidence isn't, isn't, isn't good for this. Like, uh, uh, your Canadian experiment uh, from the 70s, what was it called? Uh, Mincom in uh, Manitoba. Minimum income, yeah. Yeah, showed that um, people basically took a month or so off once they got the minimum income. And then a lot of them went back to work and worked less, but still a hefty amount. I mean, I dimly recall it was like 30 hours a week. And the reason was either they found the work itself fulfilling, you know, they, they loved baking, um, <laughs> or they, it was social. I mean, they miss their, you know, they found their coworkers to be friends or colleagues. Or my, my sister's a teacher. She, uh, in school, I'm a teacher as well, but I don't, you know, go to the public schools. Um, and she was saying how she noticed that her students were kind of happy to be back from the break of the Christmas break. The parents are like, no, no, we, and, uh, I, I was, there was a petition to extend the Christmas break. Right. Um, but, I was saying, well, I would assume every student signed up, but it's social. It's a social, yeah, activity as, and they have reduced hours some of some of the schools, right? So, um, to me, school was prison, right? It was it was literally a prison. I, I there's a warden. I'm in trouble. I, I get extra. I don't get any yard time if I do things wrong. You know, it's it was a prison. But if you were calculating humans properly you have to remember they need socialization and and one way you'd get that especially in a pandemic is uh by having some sort of institution like like the school or the church or whatever it is um sure so and you think all the other um, precise things you know you get people who love learning and see school as a way of doing that you get um sports fans who i call aliens but but they yep. they you know school is a machine for sports um and there's there's a reason why we have so much fiction um, from TV to young adult fiction that takes place in schools. You know, we um, it's it's meaningful. So I, I I'd be really curious to see you know what happens um, you know in in this luxury communism space. Do we uh, um, do we slack off, um, or does slacking off lead to something else? You know, someone just wants to play guitar all the time. <laughs> well, they get really good at it. Um, <laughs> You know, and they and they form a book. Um, you know, do we lose someone who just does nothing but can play computer games all the time? Yeah, I think it's possible. And then, or people who just uh, do heroin, or people who just drink all the time. Sure. Well, we have lots of those people already, so I'm not right. sure. I'm not sure what we'd be lo- losing by experimenting. I do want to question. You know, just the same way I've questioned the political <coughs> compass and all of these four futures that are 
presented. I want to question the idea of left versus right. Um, and I, I keep thinking about like, it's basically, it's, it's people who want to be rich and it's people who want to keep what they have rather than left or right. Right. So, you know, uh, just this week, um, it's incredible. Uh, you know, the president of the United States has all his accounts taken a, a, a off, right? Of Twitter banned or whatever. Um, Facebook doing the same thing. YouTube had, um, people pulling, you know, stuff being pulled all the time. Um, this isn't, uh, left sort of right as much as power, right? It's, it's exercising power. We have the ability to do this and we are, uh, outside of other people's control. So when when I look at takes on Twitter, um, I find myself not, you know, going down party lines or ideological lines as much as looking at, at what the argument is. Basically principle, right? It's like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. This is one of my major <laughs> themes in life because I see hypocritical behavior and I find it contemptuous. I, I act contemptuously towards it. So I don't want to be that myself. There's other people who have no problem marshalling any kind of argument because they don't see, you know, hypocriticalness being a bad thing. It's just a tool, right? So I don't think that's left or right. I think that that's just, it's just a thing, right? So it's like another different, flipping the axis on its head. Um, so looking at this chart, right, uh, we've got hierarchy at the bottom, equality at the Sorry, hierarchy at the top, equality at the bottom, scarcity on the left, abundance on the right. I'm for e- abundance and equality. That puts me in the bottom right-hand corner of this chart. Uh, scarcity is a partial reality, and hierarchy is a massive rea- a reality. Right? I don't have the ability to ban somebody from Twitter, but I do see a lot of bottom-up or middle-up people praising the banning of people from Twitter or YouTube or Facebook or iTunes, right? When even podcasts uh, can be de delisted, we're in deep trouble because podcasts are basically the only thing that are independent. The reason I don't have my servers in my content on archive.org is because I want to be able to say, fuck you. I don't have to pull it down because they'll pull it down without my permission on archive.org. They won't fight it, right? We have a kind of it's not a left right thing it's a bottom and top thing is my view well, okay okay hold, hold on hold on here <laughs> there, i mean like there's a danger of drifting into like third positionism right uh, where you kind of like get in this position where you're like well it's not left and right but when you do that and you like and you just say it's about fighting again if we lapse in this position where we're just saying we're fighting authority right we we do really compromise a lot of things we we rely on. And we also end up inviting a bunch of people into the movement who really are destructive to the movement, right? Because if you go and you start if you go and you start handing out invitations to QAnon, <laughs> hey, your your stuff's getting taken down, I'm reading my stuff might get taken down. They are going to have an ultimately they're going to destroy your movement, right? They're not going to win them over a real Yeah, I, I I'm I'm thinking about uh, I read the all these pirate books a bunch of years ago, like about pirates, like literal sea pirates and digital yeah. piracy and stuff like that. And I, you know, I don't subscribe to any particular, I've never been a part of any party, political party. I've worked for this same one and 
volunteered for them and you know but I've never joined and the reason I don't join is it's just not my disposition I can't commit to something that I'm not in control of so I think about how I run this podcast right a couple of dudes from Alberta wanted to be on the podcast I think why not now if they come on and they they start screaming I might take my headphones off and think that was a bad idea but if you want to use this recording on your show I'm not going to tell you no, because I don't think it's my place. It's your recording. You do what you want with it. Right? I, I feel like I'm more like the quartermaster of, of the ship rather than, and sure. I, I'm only volunteering for the job since no one else is doing it, but everybody has their own ship. They can do whatever they want. Um, and I don't expect extra, extra shares. Now, am I handing out the passwords to the website uh, to anybody? No, I I don't want to have the site used by uh, you know, uh, click click websites to increase their SEO. Not that that's as big a yeah. thing anymore, but that was a danger, and it certainly is possible to have all the servers have the content deleted. So I don't want that. But on the other hand, when I see the takes from people who are so-called left or so-called right, I see bad takes on both sides. And that's why I'm thinking, like, uh, although I vote the same way, it's not because I think, uh, you know, I've always sort of voted for the same party. It's not because I think they're the best. It's because I think everything else is pretty terrible and these guys are slightly better. And where they go wrong is when they don't adhere to principle, when they don't adhere to um, consistency and lack of hip- hypocrisy, right? So... Is, is that uh, I'm, you'd call it third wayism? I think I've never even heard that phrase. But um, I'm also not deep into this stuff. Right? I spend most of my time looking at old pulp magazines and reading history, so I don't I don't know exactly what you're talking about. But uh, I I see really bad takes by people, and then I see you know what what people say about people like Tulsi Gabbard, and Honestly, I haven't seen that anything that makes me think she's a terrible person like a lot of people claim she is, a toady or what. And and maybe maybe I'm being deceived. It's possible. I've been tricked before. That's why I'm so skeptical about everything. But she's a, you know, angling for a Fox News gig or whatever. Is this a right left thing? Because this book's s- suggesting not so much right left, I think, as top down and i want to go more with that because i think it is about the i want to hear what will thinks because he had some really cool tweets about mao and i think even uh, even uh, paul you tweeted a mao quote this week yes peter, i did peter uh peter quotes mao in this book did anybody catch it please please remind me uh we talked about politics and command that's like like one of like like mao's like central ideas is like you have to have and like you, you see this in peter so um, I'll give some, I'll disclose my, uh, relationship with Peter at this time. I've known Peter for like, I don't know, uh, I want to say 13 or 14 years. Your whole um, life, essentially. Uh, bo- <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially, essentially. Um, and you know, oh, I should mention Peter's from Minnesota, Paul, so you all have that connection. Um, oh, I did not know that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, he's, um, uh, he lives in, um, uh, New York State now, but uh, he. Uh, Wait, uh, and but, I'm originally from New York City, so. Oh wow, wow, yeah. So you, maybe you and Peter. Things. Yeah, you and Peter just uh, traded places. That's right. Some kind of. Uh, so some exchange. 
<laughs> some yeah, sort yeah. of Airbnb thing they didn't even know about. Yeah, yeah. But Peter and I uh, have a lot in common because, well, we're both uh, been in, like, the Democratic Socialists of America forever. Um, he and I, like, both have uh, mentors uh, that were um, in the 1970s New Communist Movement. Uh, both of us kind of, like, were taught about uh, socialism by Maoists. So that's, like, um, you know, we just have that uh, in common. So what I like about this book is that uh, Peter's trying, Peter's anecdote to kind of, uh, what we don't like about uh, Treknomics, like that we don't have like the road there, mm-hmm. is for Peter to say, well, like the road is politics and class struggle. Like he doesn't go uh, much further than that, I think. And I think he, uh, uh, I think he confuses things with this uh, uh, non-reformist reforms, Andre Gore stuff. Like I'm familiar with the argument that like if I have uh, UBI, I have like more time to spend being a political organizer. I think that's like like pretty straightforward. I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody would argue against that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like another reason against say... giving it to everybody. Yeah, people yeah, could yeah, be yeah, more yeah, political. Uh, but uh, my 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 problem with this argument that I see a lot of people on the left make is, uh, you know, if you look at like like Scandinavia, right? Like they're not closer to a revolutionary situation because they have a welfare state, right? Like that's like there's not a uh, uh, so it's not like uh, it follows that, like, if we, like, make everybody very comfortable, um, you know, we're going to, like, be able to overthrow bourgeois property relations. Um, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, but uh, I-, I think that, like, uh, UBI's, like, effectiveness as, like, uh, like, a transitional demand to, like, undermine capitalism, I think, is uh, overstated by people a lot. And I think it'd be better to just say, like... Uh, we're fighting for UBI, and we also want to, like, overthrow capitalism than just, like, you know, think we can, like, trick people or something. I don't know. And I don't think Peter wants to trick people. Uh, I, I want to be careful here. I really like Peter. Um, so that's kind of my uh, my problem with the, uh, like, like the like the political road laid out in this book is it doesn't really lay out a political road. It just says... Here's some well, options. We want, like, yeah, we need, like, we need a political road. And I think... Uh, I think that, uh, you know, around like 2013, I think when this book was written, um, you know, there was less of a like socialist media sphere, uh, than there is now at that time, right? Like it's hard to, uh, like remember that. Uh, but like, you know, uh, it was like really lonely to be a socialist in 2013, <laughs> uh, in a way that's like not true now. Now it's just like, oh God, like who are all these other socialists? I hate them. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, uh, so uh, anybody uh, can put a rose in there. <laughs> yeah, like like there's literally like no barrier to entry to like declaring yourself a Marxist-Leninist and like yelling people at yelling at people on the internet. Um, like you like don't have to know the principles of Marxism-Leninism. You just have to like have like an anime avatar and like scream about North Korea. <laughs> um, it's, it's a great time to be alive. Or, or you can like scream about like how like AOC is really great. Like there's just lots of things to scream about. There's a lot like. There's, like, as many dumb ways to be a socialist now as there are, like, dumb ways to be any other uh, political uh, trend. And so that's, like, how you know we're succeeding as a movement. Um, uh, so, but, yeah, the, bu- the book is thin on uh, political alternatives. And I think I just have a disagreement with Peter about, like, like UBI's role here. Um, uh, so, uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how I think about this book. What I like about the book is what we talked about with the rentism section. I also think the socialism section had like, um, like there's something there, uh, to it, but I I think it's underexplored. Um, 
what I like about it is this idea that like, like we can like, like the conditions under which like socialism we will be built if it will be built will be just like they're gonna be bad, right, guys? Like, like uh, it's it's not um, you know we're not looking at uh, fully automated luxury communism uh, if like the climate tanks. So I, I like uh, I like that we like consider uh, the possibility. I think I'm in the I think if we're looking at the uh, at the cover of it, I'm like. Uh, you know, in the like watering can, uh, <laughs> a school. And I, I think that's something Peter and I share. And that's like, uh, what we take from, uh, the, uh, the Maoist tradition is, um, so like, like in the Chinese communist tradition, if you're going to be like uh, a communist, like you have to be like a highly ethical person. Like, you know, so like Mao is like not a highly ethical person. We can like put that to side, put that to the side. But, uh, you know, like what, like the like watering can for me is, is it's like, uh, we're like building uh, socialism under extreme conditions. We're like uh, making a collective sacrifice, and so I like the idea of this fully automated luxury communism. But it doesn't uh, it doesn't capture the ethic that like we need entirely, because um, uh, like you know uh, I, I don't I don't think that there's any way to like be a political actor that like involves not making just like sacrifices and like the more. Uh, like the more politically active you are, the more sacrifices you're going to make for it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, if we have UBI, we can have like more politically active people, but, uh, I, I think we also have to have this like sacrifice mindset. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of, uh, my, those are my jumbled thoughts on this book. Mm, I like them. Thank you. Oh, and, uh, I guess, uh, the reason we were tweeting about Mao, um, mm-hmm. A topical Twitter thing uh, that won't be topical by the time oh. this essay came out comes out. Uh, Democratic Socialists of America, San Francisco, um, uh, promoted an event on their Twitter account by one of their caucuses. Um, so this is not an official DSA event; it's an event held by a DSA caucus uh, that is a, a Mao reading group. And so, like, people are coming together to read on practice and on contradiction to like, uh, you know, uh, essays that millions and millions and millions and millions of people have read. Um, and, uh, you know, are pretty good. Uh, you know, this is like controversial online because like Mao Zedong is like a very controversial figure. So the idea that a, uh, official DSA Twitter account was promoting this event just, you know, makes like some people lose their minds. So that like, you know, like made me lose my mind in response and, uh, send tweets about Mao. Yeah. Well, Paul, what was your explanation for tweeting about Mao? Um, I, I, I tweeted about Mao on the 5th, which is the day before things went to crap at the Capitol, because I was quite concerned and afraid. And, well, in, in nearly the darkest thoughts I had came to pass. I mean, people marched on the Capitol and we had people invade the Capitol and we nearly had representatives. Why was this, why was this so frightening for you? Because I don't, I like, I, I was thinking, I keep thinking about it from like a 10,000 mile view above, and I keep thinking, oh, this is a good sign. Like, obviously, you know, um, these people aren't oh, okay. this is well thought through or anything, but... This is why it's frightening to me, because now, now I am I am not a classicist, I don't have classics training, I'm just taking some couple classics courses, and I know a lot about the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire, and when 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 violence starts getting turned to explicitly political ends against political figures as a regular thing, 
democracy and republics. Yeah, but this isn't like the first last... incident of any. No, no, but no, but uh, the, but 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 the, the, this this what this is an escalation of events. I mean, this is not the first time a a, a politician's been attacked or shot at or anything like this. But this, I mean, the the plot against Whitmer, Gabby Giffords getting shot, the the shooting at the baseball game. This, I mean, that those. Are, building up and up. I mean, the actual invasion of the Capitol where they were looking for the <laughs> vice president and who knows what else to actually kill or do something horrible with. This is a very dark road we go down, and this is how you wind up with people promising law and order, and you wind up with the Caesar. That's why I was scared on the 5th when I tweeted out that, that mouth quote. It's like, oh yeah, you're calling for you're calling for uh, Revolution, yeah, that's not a tea party, which is, I believe that was the quote I went from uh, from Mao, though not quite uh, those words. I can't, I can't get too much indignation about anybody invading Nancy Pelosi's office. They just want um, some of those ice creams. Um, <laughs> Honestly, yeah, no, I, I don't yes, think, I, I don't think indignity is. Yeah, indignity is not the correct response, but like, I think I, I agree with Paul. I think it's scary, um, and like, it's not scary because like. Like, oh, this is like, like, I don't care about Congress, right? Like the Constitution, we should not have the Constitution. We should have a different Constitution. Yeah. Uh, like we shouldn't have Congress. We should have a different form of government. Um, uh, you know, I'm not like, like crying about that. Uh, here's what's scary about it. So you have this like fascist mob that's like responding <laughs> in a disciplined way to like the president's <laughs> tweets. And like, they're, very well like, disciplined. So, like, you have a crowd that's like, like the president's like, get Mike Pence. And then all of a sudden this crowd of fascists is like chanting, hang Mike Pence. Like. Like, I don't yeah. care if they hang Mike Pence. Like, you know, like, you know, you hate to see people die. Right. Um, but uh, not, not not necessarily. It depends on yeah, the situation. No, I, I, mean, no I, I mean that. I mean, that. you hate to see people die. But uh, uh, like, like, I'm not worried about Mike Pence and like these like so like one set of my enemies chasing another set of my enemies around, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm I'm scared of these fascists. I'm scared of what like I don't think that these people are going to like get less extreme with time. Like, I don't think like. Okay, Biden is victorious, and now it's like back in the bag, and uh, you know, like ah, ha ha, these like like Q shaman, like Q shaman is funny, uh, but like I don't know, like I feel like somebody like Q shaman like could like easily kill someone like me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? but notice like, he's you know, not coming for you. No, but he, like if I, but I'm like I'm an anti-fascist, Jesse. Like I, uh, okay, like, yeah, yeah, this like, people like, are calling not, them fascists, uh, like, right? Like, I, I like I'm I'm not like oh like you know like. It's like their shirts are not blue. They're not brown. They don't even no, have the, shirts. Like the QAnon, and no, the, QAnon the corporations like, are not funding them. Movement. Right? This is this is not a corporate funded mob. It is not but, but, but a private army. Like he's he's the bourgeoisie. Like it's not like he doesn't represent a section of the bourgeoisie. He like, yeah. Like Trump is an anti corporate figure. No, no, absolutely. But in and they were taking marching orders directly from him. I like, in a disciplined way. They were willing. To I get death. that. I One get all that. De- like they faced death. Oh. Like that's scary. I get um, that. Like they're, they're they're very serious people. Like they're stupid. Like like their leader is an idiot. But yeah. like, what if they had a competent leader? Like this social force or, isn't or, going or, away. Or they or they done it a little more comp or did they, their invasion a little more competently? I mean, it was it was it was it was a bit clown car. Thank God because. People could have been killed and hurt. More people could have been killed and hurt than actually were. And I mean, today is January 10th. Um, we don't know the exact date, but around January 10th, 49 BC, Gaius Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon into the province of Rome with his army against the 
<laughs> will of the Senate and proceeded to make himself dictator. So this is kind of topical. And he got stabbed, I mean, and I ain't when, crying. When, right? when, when, thing, when, when, when things get really bad polit- with political violence, Jesse, or, if you don't like one of the Romans, you can go to the French Revolution. People turn to really bad solutions for law and I, I'm not thinking the French Revolution is the way to go, but I think that's the way it's going since nobody the, – the, the, the technique seems to be denied. Like, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm obsessed with that emoji or GIF I use over and over again. Anytime so, anybody mentions Nancy Pelosi, I just see her eating that ice cream, rocking back and forth, enjoying her ice cream with her two twelve thousand dollar refrigerators each, twelve thousand dollars refrigerators behind her, talking about the seven hundred dollar subscription service to ice cream she gets through the mail. Right? This is. <laughs> This is what's yeah, no, literally this is happening. The left wants to be in the Democratic Party, right? Like, like you want to be associated with this woman. Like you want to get those ice creams through the mail. I get it. Like, uh, what I'm saying is, is if 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 that's you, you're, you're and you're standing up for her. You're standing up for Marie Antoinette. Because that's what it is. Up for those Roman senators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I guess that I guess that makes me Marcus Tullius Cicero in this in this conversation. And I'll, <laughs> I, I'll take that. I'll take I'll, I'll take that because, um, be, be, because the dangers of because I don't currently see a good way to avoid replacing what we have right now with lawless anarchy. I I mean I mean I I mean there's that's, that's How about a, lawful that's, anarchy? Um, I'm going there, there, I'm going go for there's, that. There's, there's I mean there are no good paths and I'm I'm afraid that what we have now is the best we're going to get and it's only going to get worse from here and maybe incrementally worse change over time. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> incrementally worse change over time, right? It's for, like for, oh, we we'll slowly ease ourselves into the exterminism future. Just you know falling off the cliff. So, so I, yeah. Okay, Paul. I'll grant you this: if the choice is Mad Max or the U.S. Constitution, I'll stick with the good old <laughs> U.S. Constitution. <laughs> I don't know which okay, Mad Max are we talking about. The Constitution gives birth to Mad Max. That's the problem. You, like, it's, it's a direct line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I do find it scary seeing you know like fascists threatening to take over the government. Why, why, why are you calling way. them fascists? Because, see, I, I keep thinking about the corporate angle that's missing there. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't see any anything missing. Uh, like, it it seems like it, you know, they, they have a billionaire leader telling them what to do. I don't know I don't know what corporate... Uh, yeah, but it's not his billionaire-ness, necessarily, that is what's, you know, he's not cat, he's not sending them checks, literally not sending them checks. <laughs> Oh, no, fascists don't the need to set that, checks. So, think, and I, I, that's what I find scary about it, right? Is that we have a terrible, terrible system in the United States, and it's threatened to be taken over by an even worse one. So, I don't see it going to lawless anarchy. I see it leading to like a very lawful system uh, with laws that are terrible for people. Yes, that's lawful evil is chaotic evil. I mean, that's I, I, a, I, a bad system that predates Trump that has bad laws. That is called the Biden administration. That was Biden's mm-hmm. entire principle for running mm-hmm. was to not change stuff, was to confirm that. And this is one of the problems that the 
left liberals, Democrats have right now is the idea that Trump is some kind of terrible monster from space who appeared from nowhere, hit the earth, warped things, we get rid of him, everything is going to be fine. Right. And this is the entire premise of the Biden campaign, which is why, among other things, he had a super majority of donations from Wall Street, not to mention, you know, Hollywood and other. I mean, he was the he was Capitol's chosen candidate in 2020, which is one of the reasons he won. Now, he barely won. Well, the Uh-oh. Democrats are simply incompetent. Um, but um, no, I, I, I have I have all kinds of, of, of thoughts about this. My, you know, uh, that's that's what's scary to me too. Is that this whole thing looks like a cartoon movie? Yeah. And like, how did we get here? As <laughs> as, as as you know, as a a thoughtful society, you know, oh, we're not well. imitating art. We're imitating bullshit. Yeah. It's, on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Yep. Well, it, it's really bad. The only thing you can watch on there is that Black Mirror episode, my son. And go <laughs> go uh, to archive.org and watch that uh, great Paul Robeson movie I tweeted about. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, the, what's it called? Uh, Emperor Jones. Emperor Jones, yeah. It, it, that's, what, that's where we need to live. We need to live in the public domain. <laughs> and... and Everybody's going to get their uh, UBI because we're all going to be reasonable. Otherwise, we get the fucking guillotines out and we start chopping heads off. And we'll chop off heads until we have to, you know, until we go too far. And we then still we'll need s- a few heads. Uh, to uh, that's, that's what I'm th- I don't want to do the head chopping thing. I think it's going to be gross. No, I think it's gross too. But I mean, for the head choppers, they, they, don't, they have a limit. Oh, yeah, well, I, I want to I want to limit this. I want to limit Automate the head choppers. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we do. We combine future space communism with with the exterminism of robots, and we'll be good. A von Neumann machine guillotine, right? Yeah. Um, let, let me ask you. Well, I think that, that was one thing I liked about the book was Peter talks about how, like, you know, if we're coming to communism out of exterminism, we're going to be nasty. Mm-hmm. Like... Like, yeah. like the like the authors of communism are going to be nasty people if we have to come through exterminism. So yeah, like, I, true. like I do sympathize with the aspect of the book. It's like, like he wants the UBI road to communism because like the like, uh, you know, like the October road to communism is just like, oh, we have to go through civil war. That's terrible. Uh, yeah, I mean that's one of the interesting things about 20th century uh, communist and anarchist uh, projects is every single one of them came out of the context of incredibly destructive war. I mean, you know, you think of Soviet Union coming out of World War One. You know, you think of um, uh, you know China, uh, Chinese communism coming out of a generation of revolution, civil civil war, and uh, foreign invasion. Uh, I mean, it's one of the one of the inflection points of 20th century communism is that, uh, you know, a lot of the leaders are military leaders. A lot of the population have are are veterans. I mean, and that does kind of inflect where you're going to go. I, I agree with this. The, the, the re- political power comes out of the yeah, barrel that, of a gun. There's now said that also may explain that kind of moralism we were talking about before that, that moralism that's in 20th, the 20th century socialist projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When well, you I, think about uh, right. how, I mean, you, you certainly see it here. I'm in China, if you don't know, and mm-hmm. you see it every day. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. These 28 characters posted everywhere. These they're mm-hmm. four, no, 24. Yeah, 24 characters. It's 12, 12 points of socialism or something. But mm-hmm. it's all very moralistic. It's all patriotism, frugality, and hard work. You, you know, got to get uh, she thought uh, to do it right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's also the yeah, Xi Jinping's thinking. A better example would be even, you know, to the west of you, right? You know, looking at the looking at the Uyghurs. But this is still I mean, this is Italy wings compared to Mao. Um, especially, you know, Mao the first ten years. If you think about Great Leap Forward or or even I mean yeah. It's it's kind of a cliche to say this now, but you know to mention the uh, the Cultural Revolution um, and uh, again th- these are these are the moral calculations done by somebody who's used to massive amounts of death and destruction. No, what I think is really really interesting about the, those Mao years and why I, I'm still trying to learn more about them actually, not the not the stuff that Will's interested in like Mao is an insurgent so much, but the, the actual. Like the process of construction is, I mean, you do have that moralism, right? Like they, they ban prostitution, discipline the national bourgeoisie and all this, you know, you had that cadre class, very disciplined, very large. That was all really well trained and all this stuff. But that younger generation really, on one level, they took socialism really seriously. They took Marxism really seriously. And they're also more democratic. They're kind of of that global 60s generation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I really want to think of the Cultural Revolution as part of that 60s revolt. It is. And a lot of the things we think about with the Cultural Revolution, like the sending down of the youth or all the violence, a lot of that was the state suppressing these student movements, well, briefly, which were Mao, offending Mao kind of that moralism of, of that older generation. Yeah, well, I mean, Mao summoned it to you know take yeah. the party, to take back the party. He succeeded, and then he shut it off by sending them to the countryside. I mean, it was a, in terms of raw political calculus, it was pretty smart. Um, well, it wasn't just Mao, though. I, I, would, I would add that there's the party too. There's Mao and the party, and by the end, they both agreed to kind of shut this down. To, well, to, it, made, it made sense. Turn it back. Depending yeah. on who you, I mean, everybody in the party. Uh, it was it was dangerous to them, uh, depending yeah. on wherever you were, um, and you know it, it's it's a, I, I'd recommend looking if you're curious looking at the the coders a uh, few books you got three books now. Um, well, I've read his older work, his stuff on like the the Republican like on eugenics and sex and race. His old I haven't read his newer stuff yet, um, but yeah, I've been thinking where's that quantum leap moment for 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 China, you know. Yeah, well, I think it must be the Cultural Revolution somewhere. Well, can I can I ask all of you again? Please forgive me for for coming in late. <laughs> I, I really I'm really ticked off at at Google Calendar here. <laughs> did, you, did you all mention uh, the pandemic already? Uh, indirectly, I think. I mean, I'd be curious. You know, what is the impact of the pandemic on us heading towards these four futures? Is this something which? Is uh, a catalyst to make us think of one of these or uh, over another, or is it just a, a blip? Well, I, I well, like I, I like to think about I, I, I like to think about about the mask law in Quebec, right? So the they put in a law a, a few years ago. I can't remember the status of it now. Maybe the Edmontonians can uh, remind me. But basically, it was um, you know no religious equipment. <laughs> In the classroom or in, you know, government uh, business, government uh, employment, right? So if you're working, I don't know, in the traffic department of federal or provincial government of Quebec or something, uh, you weren't allowed to have a turban or I guess it was a hijab is mostly what they were aiming at, right? And now everybody's required to wear masks. Everybody's required to wear masks. 
And I just think that it's so funny. <laughs> we go from saying nobody's required to, in fact, you're barred against it, and now everybody's doing it. And then we get this reaction of mostly unmasked people showing up at that uh, November or January 6th event um, that some people are calling a riot and other people are calling an invasion. I don't know what to call it, but I, I, it's pretty funny is what I was, I mean, other than, the, you know, people dying, that's less cool, but, um, people die every day and this was not, you know, a mass extinction. It was a minor demonstration that, you know, uh, seemed r pretty restrained by the cops, but everybody's running around there without masks, without shirts. And there's, a reason people don't like being told what to do. I have a lot of sympathy for people who don't want to wear masks. I saw some video of a horrible, horrible video of some poor guy. Um, he was poor because we know he was poor because he's shopping at Walmart, standing in line at Walmart without a mask uh, to pay for whatever thing he had come in to purchase. And some doofus comes up and pours a big, you know, can of water over him. To punish him for not wearing a mask. That's wrong. Yeah, he should have been wearing a mask. It's probably a good idea. But this attack, right? This attack on, you know, we're flip-flopping back and forth from you have to do this and you can't do that. I think that this is like revealing. <laughs> I'm not making a mask joke exactly. I'm, I'm like saying this is, this is a really interesting reveal because it feeds into this, uh, I, I don't really understand Q or QAnon or anything like that. I don't spend any time thinking about it, really. How just about about Qbert? <laughs> oh. No, I don't, I don't get him either. Um, Q is fascinating. But, but Jesse, if, if I could go back to this, I, I think these are, these are great thoughts. I mean, it depends, I think, in part on how each nation or each region uh, responded to COVID. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about uh, China, or if we're thinking, of, for example, about South Korea or about Singapore, um, they reacted with a very strong central, national, top-down exercise of power. Mm -hmm. um, and in many ways, that seems to have worked out. Um, and you have other nations where it was more decentralized uh, or um, sporadic. So think about, say, Sweden or India. Or, or the United uh, States. Fuji telling people not to wear masks. Yeah, and I'm trying trying to get away from u.s centrism but yeah but the u.s i mean and in, in the u.s a part of this is trump but a lot of it is not because the u.s hasn't really had a national public health strategy ever um i mean it's something that we've devolved to the states and to counties um and so you know trump had the option to to strengthen a national response which of course he he did very badly um, but I, I wonder if in places like the second group of, of nations, then we have more instances like what you're talking about, that kind of freebooting, um, you know, uh, vigilante justice. So if I, um, you know, going down the street and I see somebody without a mask, I can't say, well, you know, if we were in um, uh, Hubei province, there might be a, uh, a drone coming by mm -hmm. to to warn this person to put on a mask. Uh, I can't point to anything. Uh, so maybe I'll pour a bucket of water on their head. Or this is the U.S. I mean, frankly, you know, shoot them in the face. Um, you know, I mean, I, I wonder about, you know, does... Or don't shoot or let them into the well, buildings, this, right? It, uh, it depends on... Brian, this, this, this guy in where, where I live in Hangzhou, he was a... Maybe it's a special case because he's a foreigner. 
we didn't have many, we didn't have like any COVID cases here for like 10 months or a really long time. Then there was like a Chinese security guard got it. And then a week later, uh, a English teacher from England got it and he, were, he was tested positive. I don't know, like he may have had it before or whatever, but mm-hmm. he tested positive for the antibodies. But he did like three weeks of quarantine and did like 10 tests and still came and still showed up positive after that. And he was doxxed by like social media. Yep. And that's a punishment. Death threats. He got all these death threats and people were like harassing his school and stuff. So harassing is still there, but maybe that's because he's a foreigner. I don't know. Since uh, she has been stoking nationalism back up, um, yeah. uh, that's, that's another. Yeah, I get that. Well, this is something that we, we didn't do in the U.S. is that we didn't go into uh, anti-China frenzy. Um, Trump Trump made motions about this, but it didn't go anywhere. That's um, for Biden's administration. Well, Biden will follow Obama anti-China policy, but I don't I don't know if he would actually do a kind of popular uh, anti-Chinese bigotry. Um, so. Um, you know, that could happen. Um, but you know, you think about other nations. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sir, hold on. In what way was there not a massive moral panic about China? Like, it, there's a, a, the 5G, the 5G thing, the, there's the Huawei, uh, you know, well, put TikTok. Their, that all preceded the. There, mm-hmm. there wasn't a massive oh. national panic in your phrase against China. We did not have an out- – I mean think about America and how we've done this in the past. Think about the Cold War, for example, or think about reactions to Mexican immigrants. Uh, we did not have an outbreak of violence against Chinese people. Mm-hmm. We did not have demonization of Chinese people. We didn't have Chinese people losing their jobs because they were Chinese. We didn't have a circulation of – of uh, reports outing people as uh, Chinese uh, citizens or as Chinese descent. We had none of that. We had Trump trying to talk about the Wuhan or China virus. Some of his followers did this, but we did not have, I'm, I'm being really precise with my words mm-hmm. here, did not have a widespread or popular reaction on the scale that America does it. Yeah, if no, it didn't, it didn't majority, land on fertile ground, right? <laughs> right. If you had the majority of Americans who are suspicious of China as a whole, keep in mind that we've got 30 years of activism on the geopolitical, not the racial front about this. You know, we've had the Pentagon, we've had the military industrial complex, we had the Obama administration all seeking to identify China as a strategic competitor or as an international adversary. But that's very different from saying there are Chinese under your bed trying to give you diseases. It's the Russians have- who are under your bed well, trying, to, trying to overthrow your elections and uh, they're, yeah. they're behind the uh, – oh, no. Who is the people behind the QAnon people who are showing up to – Right. I mean, it, it, there are a hell of a lot of top down things and most of them don't fa- fall on any kind of, right? They, I, everybody always talks about 1984, but it's the, it's the prole feed, right? It, it converts the functionaries. They're the ones who are psychotic for this stuff. The, the anti Chinese and the anti Russian stuff. It's not the people at the bottom. The people at the bottom don't know what the fuck's going on. Don't like the way things are going desperate for change their change guy didn't seem to be able to get anything done is now being illegally kicked out they think wrongly removed from office right i i I accidentally it was an accident i retweeted something that was good and now i'm in that conversation with everybody who saw it and i can see that 
there's a lot of people who are struggling, who are putting so much faith in, you know, a very bad faith actor. And that's not going to go away, right? Just because no matter how much you impeach the guy, no matter how much, you know, that's not going to go away. You can kick him off of Twitter, but that feeling, that resentment, that I'm desperate is not going away. Well, let's let's add one more reason for that uh, desperation, which is that we clobbered the economy last year. Um, not for not for the people at the top; they all got richer, right? I understand? I understand. Um, I mean, inequality, as unfashionable as it is to mention economic inequality in American Democratic Party circles, uh, that uh, nevertheless took off. And we have not recovered the economy. We have so many businesses still gutted. Uh, we still have significant unemployment. Uh, and the federal government fumbled uh, its support after the CARES Act. And uh, that alone causes a lot of hatred. But that didn't turn into, um, you know, going down the street and lynching a Chinese doctor. That's it didn't true. Didn't turn uh, yeah. Into, uh, yeah, it did. Maybe not lynching entirely, but yeah, Chinese. No. Descended people experienced a huge rise in violence against them. Your your sense of huge, I think, is pretty skewed, given that we have a nation of 330 million people and a long history of actual violence. I was tracking this carefully this spring and summer, and the incidents were more threats, and they were very, very scarce. I mean, we're talking about like a dozen nationwide. That's not huge. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That The five people who died on the 6th is nothing. It's sad. But it's nothing. It, it, it was incredibly. I mean, think about how many people died for the other protests last year, right? The Black Lives Matter protests, the March on Washington there, and uh, oh, Ferguson. There's so many, right? That so many people were, or going back to Standing Rock, right? That this is this is this was nothing, and it's being treated like a huge deal. Right. Well, it's in part because of media, because it's fantastic uh, entertainment. Uh, it's fantastic television, and it was staged that way and held that way throughout. That's why this we need the new impeachment, so that we have something to talk about for the next six months. It'll keep people watching CNN, MSNBC, right? Yeah, but this is one reason why I asked about um, about COVID, because if we're talking about actual deaths, um, as of last night, we were approaching 1.9 million dead worldwide. Um, and, uh, which is a sentence that it, it's, it's almost, it's hard to say, um, out loud. If you look at the U S we're zeroing in on 400,000 dead. And these are both undercounts from all the research that I've seen. Um, what, that, wasn't there a special know. case though, for the way it's funded in the States, you know, up here it's universal healthcare. So we don't, we don't try yeah. and maximize the, the reason for somebody's death, but every every death is attributed to COVID, so they can get extra funding for it, right? No, 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 no. That's no. not true. It's not true. No, that's not true. That, that that that's a talking point on the right. Like, and I yeah. hear that from coworkers. I'm not saying it's. Work, I'm right? not saying it's a zero effect. I'm. Uh, 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 no, it, I'm, it, it is not. Is not true at all. Not no, true no. at all. No, no, it is not true. Pe- People, they're not assigning deaths to COVID to get more money. That That is absolutely false. The CDC and several other stories that I was looking at at JAMA were saying that if you look at uh, deaths in several nations, including the U.S., uh, for the for 2020, the total amount of humans killed for whatever reason um, was 
10 to 20 percent higher than it should have been, uh, according to uh, all other um, uh, all of the cases. If you look at, say, the normal stats for death by congestive heart failure, mm-hmm. by stroke, mm-hmm. and, um, and so one of the arguments is that we're basically we're suffering from an undercount um, that the death toll is under attributed. Um, and, and there are a lot of reasons. For, and I've, I've heard this uh, for death tolls in um, in India and in Brazil. Um, and often you have cases, especially back when the, when the pandemic really surges, uh, that you have fa- that you have staff who are overwhelmed. Um, you may have some who are under trained um, and and they don't necessarily have the time to do a full proper proceeding. Uh, you have cases with nations like well, China and Iran. Uh, where the government doesn't want there to yeah, be it doesn't share the yeah yeah so I mean this amount of death for me this is something that we have to really be thinking about in terms of cultural impact which is why what, what I asked about this in terms of phrases uh, for uh, for scenarios does this lead us for example um, towards greater hierarchy um, you know do we do we say all right we need more top down stuff we need to follow what South Korea and China did. Um, does this push us towards more popular scarcity? I don't mean popular as in we all love edge, widespread scarcity, mm. um, because of the, uh, of, of how this tweaked financial income and wealth inequality, um, you know, does it push us in those directions? Um, or again, is it the lighter I- fluid on top of the fire that is capitalism? Exactly. It, I, I have Peter's answer to that question. Yeah. What's the answer? Um, he, he, uh, the book came out in the Spanish edition this year. So they had him like give a little like 15 minute deal at a Spanish university. Mm-hmm. And, um, nice. yeah, I think that, uh, 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 the way that he was looking at it was, um, ex- like, so, uh, the pandemic adds another layer for us to think about exterminism, right? So, uh, if the like proletariat or like the, you know, the useless people or whoever, are, um, you know, they're dangerous because they're rebels. Now they're also dangerous because they're vectors of disease. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, that's scary. So they have the, uh, so we have to, now who, who are these people then? Um, I mean, in, in the U.S., the, uh, the people who are, it was okay to die were the elderly. Um, that's the, uh, right. you, you heard that from a disturbing number of people. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Including the elderly? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but who who would be who is it okay to die for this now? Uh, is it the unemployed? Is it uh, uh, is it QAnon or who? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a lump and parole thing, right? Like there in the in society, there are makers and takers. And uh, I mean, Frace talks about Cory Doctorow uh, very specifically, and, and Cory Doctorow in several of his works kind of has some, some sort of like enlightened capitalist person sitting someone down and telling them what's what. You know, and and they got really structured, and I felt this in Frace's work as well, and and I agree with it on a personal level. That you know, yeah, there's a division into like people who create things and contribute, and other people who are surplus people, extra people to society, and it, <laughs> and you need to from the from the kind of technocrat capitalist lens, you need to liquidate or reassign those people. You have a human labor stock, and you need to resolve that discrepancy, and that's. I think what we're up against, and it's actually really scary. You put them on a uh, what we do with a surplus population. These these uh, non non doers. You you put them on an energy board in Ukraine. Let them just reap in the the benefits of that for a while, and then <laughs> and then we're done. 
because that's what, what all the surplus. I mean, it's so ridiculous. Uh, uh, the the my one of my favorite hashtags was the fail son or fail <laughs> fail child, right? Of these famous people with a famous last name, McCain, you know, daughter or uh, what's the vice president's Megan daughter, McCain right? Um, <laughs> go on the Twitter and they give their opinion. <laughs> like, I'm just laughing because it's like, yeah, what, what are you doing? Oh yeah. You're just reaping, reaping the benefits of that name. This is the rentism future, right? <laughs> it's access and friend, everybody gets a friend and instead of getting paid in more, more cash, oh, what, there was an amazing article, Washington Post, everybody got a $2,021 bonus. Um, it was for the coverage of the, the lack of the $2,000 check. And it was like, oh, you guys got an extra 21 bucks instead of for pushing the non $2,000 story. It was like, wow, that's great. Um, everybody's going to get paid in blue checks, right? And then after that, the currency becomes devalued. We're going to get double blue checks. Then you get a platinum check. Oh my God. It's going to be so great, right? Uh, we are we are definitely accelerated. Whatever is going, I don't know if it's COVID exactly, but definitely COVID definitely had something to do with accelerating. Oh, that that was one of the. I know Brian, you said you were. Maybe I'm not allowed to say. I don't know. Uh, the Tantor guy, the narrator for this, he was good, but he pronounced accelerando wrong. I was only. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> um, I mean. I don't, I don't even know how he said it, but, uh, the accelerando that's, that's stories. Well for my book. I'm going to have to make sure that, uh, yeah, they, makes, they read a good job. We'll have to. It was uh, a good job. Other than that, the narrator did a good job. Other than that one word, I didn't see anything else that was off, but, um, I love, ta- I love what Tantor is doing with these books. Uh, so many of the audiobooks that have been nonfiction that we've been talking about have been coming from Tantor, going all the way back yeah. to, that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft biography by W. Scott Poole. Um, that was... I, I, I've known for years that they've had it, but uh, I'm... Uh, are you allowed to talk about your book? I, I guess you're allowed to do anything you want, Brian. Hey, Were you just saying that before? Uh, yeah, the uh, my most recent book, uh, Academy Next, it came out over the past winter, a year ago, um, and it came out in hardcover from Johns Hopkins University Press. And so they just signed a deal to have Tantor do the audiobook version, which is good. Um, That's probably exciting. due to me covering so many books and they know you're on the show and they say, I oh, sign, I think I need to have some of those royalties for my personal they UBI. Call this, they call this the, uh, <laughs> the Jesse Big. <laughs> Uh, the bad news is I don't think we can have you on to talk about your book, but I might be able to talk about your book without you on and rip it to shreds um, if it needs yeah. to be ripped. But honestly, I, I'm not I'm not an expert on it, so I might need to get Brian on to help me with that. So we'll see. Maybe you can get a, an AI version of me. Just to <laughs> questions to me. So we can do that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I mean, I was, I was, I talked to the publisher, well, things sometimes move slowly in that world. Um, I said, well, look, I could just, you know, read the book out loud. I can just make MP3 files and we're done. Get a professional, well, get a professional. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they were happy to do it. And I said, fine, that's, that's like, you know, what, 20 hours of my life freed up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, so I'm glad about that. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they, they decide to turn it into a paperback. That'll be, uh, 
Um, that'll also be good. Dude, so the audiobook will do better. Uh, uh, the reason people are reading so much more is because of audiobooks. I, yeah. It's hard to get into a bookstore, and uh, not everybody wa- wants to use Amazon. They will use Audible. Well, it's uh, the same thing. My uh, in, in Chapter 2, where I talk about demographic changes, and basically, you know, the older we get, uh, the more difficulty we have with vision. And yeah. that's one of the appeals to audiobooks has always been uh, uh, older folks. But the other thing is, I don't know, if Jesse, if you saw this or if any of you guys saw this in um, uh, Chapter 1. I've got this. Uh, it's now the Notorious Page 23. Did I talk about this? It's, so it's about the future of higher education. And, you know, the first half of the book looks at the trends, uh, reshaping higher ed. In the first chapter, I'm trying to get the reader to think about the future in some interesting ways. And I said, well, what would happen if a pandemic struck the world? You know, mm. a pandemic like the size of the 1918 Great Influenza. You know, how would that change higher education? And ever since March, people have been coming up to me and going, what did you know? What, mm. what dark forces are you in league with? You know, so that, but, you know, the thing is, in, in futures fields, this is something we, we've been talking about this for decades. Sure. We've been, we've been researching what a pandemic would do. And, and uh, in fact, that's, that's one of the um, hilarious bits uh, about the conspiracy theory world. There's uh, multiple conspiracy theories around Bill Gates and COVID. And the source of them is not just Apple fans, but the source of it really is because in fall of 2019, the Gates Foundation paid for a simulation game about the impact of a pandemic. It was a very, very good simulation. They had really interesting people playing it. And they recorded the whole thing. It's all it's all video. You know, it's all up online. So if you searched for stuff like, you know, pandemic in 2019 or pandemic in Gates, that came up really mm-hmm. fast. Aha! Well, a, a lot leads into it. You know, like you can see why in the absence of uh, media that does its fucking job, you know, you can see why. I mean, they, they maybe that is their job, just do propaganda all day and whatever. But in, in the absence of that, you can see like people making these connections, right? The, you, you've got you've got all these things that are happening, and then off the shelf, these people. What, is that another? Uh, no, it's not Mao, but it's an old Chinese friend. Oppor- uh, let's opportunity challenge. Uh, interesting times. That thing. Right, every crisis is an opportunity. You pull off the shelf that that May new Patriot. You in interesting times. Yeah, the new Patriot Act too. Hey, hey, here we go. Facebook, you're got it. You're covered. Don't worry. You block anything now. You're never gonna get sued. We promise. Right, Twitter. Hey, you got that new thing you want to do? Absolutely. We're gonna back it. In fact, we're gonna tell you what's gonna be in it, and you're gonna make so much money. Dominant. We're never gonna break you up. That's that's where you know people being deplatformed, people being having their channels removed, people being delisted from iTunes. That is not an accident. This is all part of a plan, and you can see it in in it's it's not even happening in slow motion. It's happening daily. So of course, people are saying, "Who's responsible for this? Whose head needs to be chopped off?" Now, getting the details wrong, I. I that doesn't bother me so much. Right. 
like the, the guy the guy was wrong about Venezuela the the, the shaman QAnon shaman about you know how <laughs> Venezuela is gonna needs to be liberated too uh, from communism wow no 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 it needs to be liberated from sanctions yes 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 he's wrong but notice he's not invading Venezuela <laughs> the people who were doing that were getting paid by the government or some agency that was doing it with government backing. Right. It's internationally. I mean, do you, do you think we'll see people turn towards uh, increasing authority as a result of this? That they'll, you know, they'll want uh, they'll want that kind of thing. Um, you know, and it'll play out in different levels, including public health, but also including uh, political chaos. You, know, you want uh, if you're in India, you'll you'll turn to Modi because you you might be afraid of what uh, Islamic uh, terrorists or just Muslim in general would do if you're. In, you know, the Philippines or if you're in Brazil, you're afraid that um, the, uh, the various gangs will be out of control unless you have a strict hand from the top. Um, I mean, is this something that we're going to we're going to see in a pretty widespread fashion? I don't think so. I think it'd be the ver- reverse. But what do you say, Misa? Well, I said I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I don't want Justin interfering in my business. I want him kicked out of his his fail son job. And uh, some very reasonable, boring um, NDP politician shoved in there and and trying to avoid the head chop in future that <laughs> seems to be being pushed upon I mean, us. I mean, do, you, do you think the first NDP like prime minister could be boring, though? Right. Like like because like the only way that party will ever break through, like I took a I class in a boring from Ed Broadbent. It was the most fucking boring class on the entire planet. I couldn't believe how fucking reasonable he was about everything. I'm really interested because, you know, this is a guy who, who got as close as they, uh, they came until, I guess, uh, the bald dead cancer guy. Yeah, Jack Layton. Um, and it was, I couldn't believe how boring that class was. And, uh, honestly, he was not, uh, he, that's probably why, you know, uh, there was a really funny anecdote. One of my profs, or he was an instructor, uh, said about, <laughs> about what happened when Ed Broadbent was in the middle of a conversation between Mulroney and, uh, Mulroney was a former prime minister for those not out in Canada. Um, and, uh, whoever's the leader of the liberals, um, <laughs> Mulroney did this thing where he's, he was excoriating um, the uh, liberals by talking about how the NDP was reasonable. So he, he's, 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 he's saying, you know, my friend across the aisle, Mr. Broadbent, is, you know, reasonable this way, reasonable that way. And then he turned to the liberal leader and he said, but you guys... <laughs> just poured on, poured on the hate, right? And the thing is, is being all friendly and nice ain't going to get you there. That's what we need. We need a some reasonable, you know, bureaucrat who's, you know, going to do uh, the handouts of the uh, of the vaccines and, you know, be reasonable. Like the leader of the B- of British Columbia. He's not perfect, but he seems to be pretty reasonable and he's a little bit charming like star trek right you can't you can't hate the guy um there's reason to hate some of his policies he you know lied about something a disabled thing that he was going to do for people disabled in british columbia but in general 
just a good manager, right? Not fucking up the economy, not ruining uh, everybody. That's what we need. But what we're being pushed to is idiots like Trump who have such an outsider's behavior that they appear to be a, a hope for change. Right. Uh, I'm just when I, I'm just thinking I, about your your grandparents or whoever Jesse your ancestor who like you know was like with the general strike and like founded the CCF or whatever and mm. they're like what I really want is for someday Ed Bronbent to be like a competent manager you know I, I don't have to, <laughs> I, I, I think you need to read I think you need to that, look it, literally what government should be is like a an insurance company for everybody right it just like it it, it shouldn't be an exciting job. It should be a boring job. And that's why we give you a little extra cash, right? We give you the right honorable in front of your name so that you do your job properly. <laughs> Not invade any countries and fuck up other people's economies or build up resentment or ruin our, ruin our lives. Just, you know, make it, make it an insurance company job and get, get out of uh, everything else. Wow. I, I want to know how the uh, Evan, we're working on this, or you're working on this sex book. I want to know how the people <laughs> on RISA are getting paid for their sex work. Are because somebody's got to pay for the condoms, right? No, like they have moved beyond the need for money. They are focusing on improving themselves and the rest of humanity. Getting buff at the gym for their Horgon uh, work. But uh, the Horgon's got to be some sort of economic purchase. The book outright says they're in the Federation economy, so they're they're doing it for social credit, whatever. Mm -hmm. Woofy. (laughs) Not Whoopi. Woofy. Dogecoin. (laughs) (laughs) What's that little thing that's on their forehead? Is that like a... I think Captain's Holiday, that might be the first Rise episode. Yeah, it is the first Rise episode. First mention of Rise as well. Well, Well, It's not the first mention. Later on, Enterprise has a Rise episode, which is kind of interesting, but that's, of course, a later series. Deep Space Nine has a Rise episode. And Worf, I can't believe how conservative Worf is. He goes to the planet and he he actually, if you guys haven't seen this episode recently, it's really interesting because it's very, very modern, uh, very of 2020-21. You know, basically, he goes on vacation with uh, Jadzia to Risa. Doesn't want to go. When he gets there, everybody's sexing up everything, and he's very conservative, locked down. And then a conservative group of Federation citizens shows up and says, you guys are all immoral whores. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to punish you by making it rain. They take control of the planetary, uh, I don't know, weather system. And put it offline, and it starts raining all over the planet, and everybody has to go inside, and they say, this fucking planet sucks, sex indoors is boring. <laughs> and then and then at the end of the episode, like, Worf realizes the conservative group he's with is a little bit too radical, so <laughs> it grabs the control. Episode. It's a real episode, and he breaks the, the pad that controls the satellites in half, and then that's there's, like, no consequences. It's unbelievable. It's a real episode. So, uh, on, on that note, I've hit my heart out. All right, I, I can I can ago. see it. So, uh, thank you very much for having me. I I do want to say one thing. I did, despite everything I said, I like this book. I think it's really good. It tells you know it. It's interesting. It really describes some very real problems we got. I really agree with the sentiment that you know it's real. It's it's real only flaw is that it it's, it isn't pro- programmatic 
it doesn't kind of tell you, it doesn't help people find anything to do. Um, and you know, and I think, but I think that that's, you know, that's not necessarily his job, but I think, you know, there's, so my, my takeaway from this is, yeah, so we need to take this and then apply that or use that energy or that anxiety towards building something positive and rethinking our political reality. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Amice, have you seen that episode? <laughs> I have seen that episode. Yes. <laughs> I want to. I have to watch that Enterprise episode to see how badly they fucked up Risa. No, Ed, you're too hard on Enterprise. Enterprise is not bad. It was. It was. It was so post Roddenberry. It's so bad. Did Maybe. you know? Um, it was also set it kind of pre Next Generation far enough. I think they have a, they have a lot of decent sci-fi stories. I'm gonna have to. It's still. I'm gonna have to read Discovery. It's like it's so reading, refreshing. Get the good reading list of which episodes to uh, to watch. But uh, I, I was yeah. saying the Rise episode's fun. The Rise episode in that series is just fun, but it's like the the character who goes there just to like relax. Like Picard wants to go. Like Picard goes there just to relax. Right, and he ends up getting laid. And so yeah, and it has a little like, adventure. There's a character like that. She doesn't have an adventure. She just literally she just meets a hot guy and bangs them. And then the two guys who want to go, they're like bachelors, and they're like, "Oh, now's her time." And they both end up getting like uh, they've been like, coming out of the submarine, like, captured by some some trans. Like, they're not transsexuals. They're they're crossdressers or something. They get duped by some high tech crossdressers. And robbed. <laughs> <laughs> robbed of what? Their com badges? What? <laughs> they get stolen from them. <laughs> they have their horgons taken away. Yeah, their clothes essentially. A horgon is a, a removable top, and it's full of condoms. <laughs> What's the economy on this planet? Who's doing the catering? I don't know how this works. It's like a cruise ship planet, yeah, right? Don't get too much. Enterprise doesn't do the truckonomics. No. That's okay. That's, no, it, no, it's going for more. It's not as bad as you remember. Do you, you guys remember? I tweeted about this. It, it, I thought it was really good. Maybe it's because Discovery is such like shit. <laughs> bad. Is it because um, is it because uh, Enterprise is in the pre um, luxury communism mode and yeah. uh, just has <laughs> yeah, a mission pen. <laughs> so I, there's a, a episode of the original series called the who mourns for adonis or i don't know how to yeah, pronounce his yeah. name anyways they go to a planet and the god's down there and he's literally lonely and he falls in love with the lady uh the crewman whatever like the one with apollo yeah apollo apollo's yeah. the he's he, he's from another planet um so anyways uh the the very first scene of the you know the pre-credits teaser i think it is i haven't seen it for years um, has uh, the Enterprise flying through space, and then a giant green hand comes and grabs yep. the ship, right? Um, so in the uh, revised Star Trek CGI, they replaced the the uh, ship and the hand. And that was the well, only... They replaced it with a new CGI, right? CG Instead of uh, a model. Like a and CGI hand. A, a CGI hand. And that was the only appearance of Gene Roddenberry <laughs> in the entire run of all the Star Treks. He never cameoed himself. His like, hand was just his hand. 
No uh, way. Yeah, oh, and they took it out and replaced it with some other person's generic CGI hand. Now, the mm-hmm. thing is, is that tells you something, right? We're, we're having our things stolen from us, and it's going to be replaced bit by bit. That's why you have to have your own copy of that show. Can't just rely <laughs> on CGI uh, stuff to always be better, because Chris Pine's going to be replacing... <laughs> Uh, our Kirk with the, uh, and then we'll have the the guy from that terrible Heroes show. That'd be too expensive, Jesse. They would never do that. <laughs> My point is, is um, <laughs> is that uh, we had the only Gene Roddenberry in old Star Trek taken away, and that's why it's getting progressively worse. Like, like <laughs> you can't have no, good Star Trek without a, a little bit of Gene Roddenberry's optimism in there and his plan to you know make things better for humans yeah they took up they took his 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 hand literally out of it his only appearance i can't get a handle on this oh my god (laughs) oh my god that note i'm gonna have to bail myself all right i think think we probably have one more thing about ubi actually go for it was I the only one? I don't think it came up in our conversation, but mm-hmm. I was thinking about this when I was listening to the book. UBI came up as part of all four futures, right? Yes. Like, even in uh, exterminism, it's like, maybe we'll throw them a bone, right? Mm-hmm. For a while. But mm-hmm. still, eventually that's the future. So, maybe Will can answer this. Is is, is the idea here is that the UBI is just a uh, I mean, detached of some other social context, right? It's 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 essentially just a, a tool of power. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that yeah, I think Peter would agree with that. Mm. Is Marky in politics? Yeah, like I, I don't think that. Uh, yeah, the UBI is like a tool that could like be used for good or evil. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fend off, fend, 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 fend off the uh, the 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 lumping proletariat by giving them some money. So that they won't revolt. I want predictions um, before it happens, uh, before he's impeached or before <laughs> or he's not impeached, probably not impeached, my guess. I don't care about that. Um, is he going to pardon Julian Assange? Didn't um, he already? I hope. Well, no, he didn't. Extradite, didn't. But that, had I, do, that had nothing to do with Trump, though. That's I, I, I think given, given the whirlwind of recent events, I don't think Trump is thinking about Julian Assange at this point anymore. So that's a no. Anybody I, else? I, I think that's a no. I think he might have, but this this whole attempt at a pooch kind of uh, has derailed a lot of things. <laughs> no, if he recognizes Taipei, it'll all be worth it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll love him forever if he recognizes Taipei. Uh, I think if he if he if he pardons Assange, that would not only be good for his reputation among, uh, you know, the whack jobs, but also. Amongst the non-whack jobs who are me. I, oh come on! Seriously. Oh come on, Jesse! I'm not. You can't come Jesse, on me. No. There are two reasons why he might pardon Assange. One is because he wants to own the libs. Indeed. And uh, and the other would be if you believe in the uh, Russian global conspiracy, which I don't. Then you know, connect the dots, and he does that. Um, Two reasons for him not to do it. One is that, as you said, he's he's too busy, um, and the other is that nobody's going to be paying for it. 
Uh, I mean, it's pretty clear that these are going to be cash um, cash rewards, um, and I don't imagine anyone's going to be spending money to free Assange. Well, well, I don't understand. What do you mean cash rewards? Oh, uh, just people either bribe uh, Trump openly. For oh, parties, okay, gotcha. Or uh, or it'll be down the road. Ah. Uh, so so that's a no, is what you're saying? I think. Yeah, I think it's a no for right now. Evan, you got a prediction? This is this is minimal futurism. <laughs> I mean, it's just two weeks away or right? next Not two even. weeks. Yeah. Um, he he could pardon himself. I, just, I don't I care about that. Hope, I just hope is that he keeps like or him or Pompeo keeps doing what they're doing with with Taiwan and wants to recognize Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically but, asking about Assange, and you're saying, yep, that Taiwan yeah, thing's I, I coming like, along. I like Assange. <laughs> just, just introduce to care, a, a Taiwanese nationalist on so many questions. <laughs> like, 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 Evan has all these politics, but then they'll like just like, well, actually, I think the best frame for us to think about this is like Taiwanese Assange. <laughs> um, well, I, I just think it's entirely possible for non-white people to be horrible imperialists too, and the Chinese are really. <laughs> oh, I, I have no problem with that. I'm just. <laughs> well, how can you be imperialist towards an integral part of your? I don't think Biden's going to do it. Is what I'm saying. Okay? Well, not an integral part of their country. I, I, I'm trolling you, Evan. It's, 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 <laughs> it's irredentism. Misa, what do you think? I, I didn't realize this was a possibility, but um, yeah, he can no, pardon anybody, right? He's too busy. Too busy. Okay. I, the thing is, is it only takes a minute. <laughs> if it's a scheduling problem, get all the stuff and make sure that he, it's, it's not like he's on Twitter. Right. <laughs> well, wait, but but remember, he 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 spent hours the other night trying to find an account to post on Twitter. He he's not thinking about Julian Assange. But that's my, uh, you know, that's part of. But see, that's why it's so important that he do it. Right. It, it, this is a particular reason to do it. Is this like holy crap? Um, I can't even uh, communicate with the with the planet that I'm controlling. I mean, literally, they, they control the choke points of Suez at, what, 1.5 trillion, no, billion per year for the government of Egypt. And, uh, they, Panama, they fought a war over that a couple of times. You know, that's their country too. It's literally named <laughs> by the United States. We, he literally runs the planet and the only thing he can do right now is, you know, send one message, and other people will have to report that this is what happened. Have a that would be such an own. Huh? You could just put on some clothes. I don't know. <laughs> and go in front of the podium and do a press conference. <laughs> if he went in front of Nancy Pelosi's podium, that'd be awesome. The stolen podium lectern. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this whole thing. This is this whole whining is is just insane. Uh, this morning on 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 the on Fox News, Republican Devin Nunes says Republicans have no way to communicate with people now because of of people getting banned on Twitter. I'm thinking, what? What? It's it, it's it, yeah. It, yeah it, I, do you I, watch I, Fox News to torture yourself or like? <laughs> no, no, I don't do it to torture myself. Here's here's what I, 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 you shouldn't you should not be rejoicing at anybody being banned from Twitter, it should be nationalized or internationalized, because if you if you don't have that you're being a hypocrite. One day you're going to get deleted, 
I mean, you've had similar things happen I, to I you, have, Paul. I have, why, would it, I mean, why wouldn't you still have people being banned? Internationalized. I, I no, I it's have a categorical imperative here towards like Twitter, right? Like, I don't need a categorical. It's imperative just internet access is what I'm saying, right? It's that's all it is. It's I mean, they th- Google killed blogging, so now we've got this thing we can t- tweet. Right. I mean, uh, well, I mean, we can't like the tech companies, like obviously like the tech companies are like a real problem and like we hate them. But like I, I don't need a category I, like so like Donald Trump was the greatest poster of all time. And now he's been banned <laughs> from posting. Like, how is that not the best? Like, that's a great story. It is a and, great story. Like, Donald Trump doesn't care whether I live or die. I like, you know, like I don't care whether Donald Trump lives or dies. I don't either. Like, I don't I don't need solidarity with Donald Trump. Like, because no, it's like, a principle. Twitter, Twitter doesn't care about me. Twitter doesn't care about Donald Trump. That doesn't that's mean right. that Donald Trump and I come together to care about Twitter. No, but we should think about the you know there's so many people who can't communicate with how come everybody in prison doesn't have a t- access to their twitter account i mean because they control their internet access. that's right like, it's not, and that's wrong yeah we should be hearing what uh all the serial killers and and all the people who took you drugs have, have to say jesse serial killers like, yeah <laughs> i mean clearly that's the only thing they could possibly be that's why they're being denied access to the phones otherwise they might cause other people to kill what i learned from dexter is like not only are like all the people in prison serial killers there's lots of serial killers that like get out of prison Um, some of them work for the comms so so you're you're we have to control the communication of the serial killers in prison with the serial killers out of prison that's right yeah that's what cakes are for yeah yeah what you put a file in there or a phone for them to to tweet from the phone that's in the cake this has been the sff audio podcast please join us at www.sffaudio.com and thanks for listening if you enjoyed this podcast consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sff audio Now we can say how we really feel about this book. Oh, time thy pyramids. Paul, you're wrong. You can't be happy. I saw you and Marissa both were happy. Oh, we never mentioned Transmetropolitan. That's what I mean. That got a brief mention in the book. You can't be happy, Paul. It's wrong. I don't know much about comics. And like, oh, you mentioned the one comic I know. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's like a, that's like the most Evan comic I can think of. It's like a comic that's literally about Evan. No, I wrote I I, I wrote an article for the Humanity Technology Review Journal about transmetropolitans, about transmetropolitan technologies of power and technologies of resistance. I couldn't I couldn't get into it. I, I've talked to you about that book before, but I I, I like well, weird comics, but. Book- he had too, too many head tattoos, and his name was Spider Jerusalem, and I'm like, why? Why do you have head tattoos and two 3D gla- Why are you wearing 3D glasses, bud? I don't get it. You're a hipster. It's an aesthetic. It's a hipster. The maker fucked up. The ma- that's the thing. The make- he did- It was mentioned in the book. The makers have a mind of their own. They fucked up his glasses. <laughs> no, that's not the reason. The reason is it looks cool. No. And then well, they retro the, retcon uh, the explanation, it's right? Explained. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of interesting things going on in there.
Although it's preposterous. <laughs> his his um his the maker head I, gave him the wrong head tattoo too. <laughs> Come on, I man. Uh, I don't know. I I, 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 mean, I think Spider Jerusalem. I I don't know. I like. You know, it's like a. I think it's like a heavy name because of like, like, like you know, it carries like William Blake in it. Mm. Um, I'll allow it. <laughs> you allow a lot, though, Will. Yeah, well, because I don't control much, you know. Yeah. When you're a judge, you're going to allow every kind of argument. No, probably not. I'm probably like I'm like I'm like actually really particular about what kind of arguments I think are valid, and I like judge most of the people in the world. Yeah, you should. You should be. And I'm judging Paul for his enjoyment of people getting removed from Twitter. You shouldn't do that. Well, well, it's great. I mean, it's the greatest poster of all time was removed from posting. It's a good story, but nobody can find out about it. As I as I tweeted, you can hold two concepts in your head at the same time: a that it's good that Twitter has platformed them, and b that large social media companies have a disproportionate influence on our life. Both can be. At the same time, no, no. The first one is it's inconsistent with the second. No, they're they are not inconsistent. No, I, I, I'm with Paul here in a way. The way I thought of this is, and I sent this back to you. Like, I, I, not like the state has a right to execute me if if they convict me rightfully or wrongfully. <laughs> they, they have that right wrongfully. Like, they have the ability. Uh, I'm not sure they have the right. No, they have the right because international law respects sovereignty. I don't respect international human rights law. law. It doesn't say capital punishment's wrong. It doesn't violate the UN Declaration of Human Rights, right? I so don't. No I don't acknowledge body. the UN Declaration of Human Rights. International may speak up for me, but they don't have any legal authority. At the same time, I could say capital punishment is barbarous and should be banned. You know what I done. did uh, two Except weeks ago. I uh, I was going through the articles uh, of the pirate pirate articles with one of my students, um, and they're consistent. Even though the details are different, the, the articles are consistent. So, uh, Misa, uh, I know you're not deep into Spider Jerusalem and I, 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 Transmetropolitan. It went right over my head. When, yeah, and it's like an old comic. Pirates, you have to clarify. You yes. like Ahoy Mates? Yeah, that kind of ahoy mates. Uh, so, Bartholomew Roberts articles. This is one of the pirates, okay? Um, similar to uh, those of Captain Howell Davis, blah, blah, blah. Here, they, here are the articles. Very simple, right? Number one, every man has a vote in affairs of the moment, has equal title to the fresh provisions or strong liquors at any time seized, and may use them at pleasure, unless a scarcity, not an uncommon thing among them, make it necessary for the good of all to vote a retrenchment. How reasonable is that? Perfectly reasonable. Number two, every man to be called fairly in turn by list on board of prizes, because, over and above their proper share, they were on these occasions allowed a shift of clothes. But if they defrauded the company, that is the group... To the value of a dollar in plate, jewels, or money, marooning was their punishment. If the robbery was only betwixt one another, they contented themselves with slitting the ears and nose of him who was guilty and setting him on shore, not in an uninhabited place, but somewhere where he was sure to encounter hardships. A little harsh. Uh, Well, it's on the ship. Somebody steals from your, you know, I I think you should be marooned. That's uncool. Splitting? Like, no, 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 no. That was for personal, right? The first part is for stealing from the group. Oh. Okay. Right? The second part is personal. 
as far as I understand. Number three, let's agree to these articles. No person to game at cards or dice for money. It causes problems. Don't we all agree that gambling is a bad thing? Don't do that on the ship. That's why I don't want it in my community. That's pretty cool. Part four. The lights and candles to be put out at 8 o'clock at night. If any of the crew after the hour still remained inclined for drinking, they were to do it on the open deck. Fair. It's, I like that that's the only thing that you could conceivably be doing that requires lighting. You're on a ship. <laughs> Part five. To keep their peace, pistols, and cutlass clean, fit for service. Perfectly reasonable. Of course you need to do yeah. that. Everybody's responsible for their equipment. Uh, part six. No boy or woman be allowed amongst them. If any man were to be found seducing any of the latter sex, that is, the boy... Oh, I'm sorry, woman. <laughs> and carried her to sea, disguised, he would to suffer death. So that when any fell into their hands, as it chanced in the Onslaught, that's the name of a ship, they put a sentinel immediately over her to prevent ill consequences from so dangerous an instrument of division and quarrel. But there here lies the roguery. They contend who shall be sentinel, who happens generally to be one of the greatest bullies, who to secure the lady's virtue will let none lie with her but himself. So it gets very detailed in the specific article of their constitution, right? Don't bring girls on the ship. It just divides the crew. <laughs> or boys. <laughs> Part 7. To desert the ship or the quarters in battle was punished with death or marooning. Seems reasonable to me. When we're working collectively, everybody agreed to it. Don't you abandon your ship. Don't you abandon mm-hmm. your job. Otherwise, you're kicked off or we kill you. Part 8. No striking one another on board, but every man's quarrels to be ended on shore, at, pi- at sword and pistol. The quartermaster of the ship, when the parties will not come to reconciliation, accompanies them on shore with an assistance he thinks proper, and turns the disputant back to back at so many paces distant. At the word of command, they turn and fire immediately, or else peace is knocked out of their hands. The peace being the gun or weapon. If... Both miss, they come to their cutlasses, and then he is declared the victor who draws the first blood. Seems reasonable to me. You're going to fight. You don't fight on the ship. Fight on shore. (laughs) Part 9. No man to talk of breaking up their way of living till each has shared 1,000 pounds. If in order to this any man should lose a limb or become a cripple in their service, he was to have $800 out of the public stock, and for lesser hurts proportionately. So you can't talk about uh, ending our agreement as a shipboard community of pirates until we're all a thousand pounds rich, or if you get injured before then you get a, a pension of eight hundred, or if you lose you know a limb and then obviously get kicked off the ship but at a nice port, and you know lose a finger or whatever you get a little bit of money. Uh, part not, uh, part ten: the captain and the quartermaster to receive two shares of prize. The master boatswain. Oh, sorry, bosun and gunner, one share and a half, and the other officers, one and a quarter. Part 11. The musicians to have rest on the Sabbath day, but on the other six days and nights, none without special favor. Perfectly reasonable way to put together society, <laughs> says I. society. <laughs> and if you look at the other articles, like other examples, they're almost all exactly the same. It's just like, it's, it's basically collective, uh, action and 
let's be reasonable to each other and uh, you know I kill the enemy. Lady pirates. There are, uh, but it depends on each. You know, each ship has its own constitution, right? The articles and and also the the theater where the pirates are operating. I, I think there were more lady pirates in East Asia than in in the Caribbean. But I could be wrong. Oh, okay. Oh, there's lady pirates all over the planet. But yeah. so the world should be run by pirates, then. There uh, are. I think so. Evan, you read a lot of these, right? These uh, pirate books that. Weren't you on the? Didn't we do a pirate show? I think it's before Will. Did we lose Evan? He. He's, uh, yeah, I think he's gone to go defend Taiwan. <laughs> oh, sorry, That's I had cold. the, I had the... That's yeah. cold. That's cold. I had man. the mute on. Uh-huh. I'm just trolling, I'm just trolling oh. my good friend Evan. Jesse, what I was trying to say was every ship had its own code. Yes. So if you read the general history of pirates... But they're all each, similar. They're, they're, they're similar, which means they kind of come out of the same kind of maritime culture. Yeah. And having similar problems. Um, but, um... I mean, the candle yeah. thing, I think we can it's probably upgrade that or change it. I mean, they it. do have a little bit different. So I was asking you which co- which ship this is from. Oh, that was uh, the first one on the Wikipedia entry for Pirate Codes. Um, I, Bartholomew Roberts, I think? Pirate Codes. Yeah, that... I remember reading that one because a lot of these. I read a whole, I read a whole bunch with one of my students, and it's like these are all very reasonable. Generally, I mean the slitting of the ears and stuff. Um, but like, it, that's it, for the it, woman pirates, though that that will mention there were there was the Anne Bonnie and uh, yeah, what's the other gal's name? I forget. So, I, I saw somebody Anne tweeting about uh, how Black 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 Sails was one of the best shows ever. Um, comparing it to Game of Thrones and saying how it was such a letdown, whereas Black Sails was such a positive. And I tried to follow Black Sails, but I had some problems with it not being on the... They're always in the fucking port, is what I was had a problem with. So hopefully they get more to see, more seeing, rather than always being on Tortuga. I was interested in kind of the maroon stuff. When they get meet up with the maroon, mm-hmm. so I kind of ducked it. But... I don't know. It, it like has that problem a lot of modern TV has. It was just like there's so much about relationships <laughs> compared to Discovery. It's a it's it's it's, it's like a Discovery problem, right? Too much about people's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like that Evan wants to write. Now I'm really book, sensitive no to this. Well, you know, I, it is only I feelings on on. You know, I I saw one this morning. It was a Not discovery, the, and I love the, the the discovery tweets are this is everything, and then you see a whole bunch of like emojis, like the uh, I only really understand the rainbow one, but you see the rainbow emoji, and this says this is everything, and I see some Indian guy wearing a Starfleet uniform, holding his hands as if he's praying, and then uh, Michael Burnham looks at him with a smile, and then we see them together, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> There's no like uh, quark snarky comment i i don't understand i don't understand like even what this is everything i don't even it's so out of context or maybe that that i I just keep thinking that's exactly what evan's talking about it's just like two people looking at each other uh, after having saying something and having feelings yeah well discovery is horrible with this like they won't like they'll they'll set up the problem and then 30 minutes later they'll finally send the away team because they have to like talk through other issues before they allow the weight team to go away. 
I don't know if that's how it works in the military. Usually, my understanding is like they're like, we got a mission, gotta go. Right? You don't get to stop. Form an away team. Worf, Jordy, meet me in the transporter room. Bring a tricorder. That's an order. Bye. I have to resolve my feelings. Like on Dexter, like weren't you happy when Rita died? And and you're like, oh, now I only have to deal with Deborah with feelings. <laughs> yeah, see, so like I like think that like it's normal for people to have feelings because I'm not like like demented. So um like my feeling about Rita dying was wow, they really went crazy with this season. Like Dexter really brought this on himself. This is horrible. I, I, that was my I don't that was my that thinking oh, when Rita see. died. Was that like, oh wow, oh. they really like they really telegraphed this with having the blood drop on her dress at the end of the last season and then Dexter's like bad choices caused this to happen. <laughs> no, I think but, I'm pretty empathetic. I think I'm fairly in tune with my emotions, but you don't want to hear don't about talk, them. I, I talk about them once a year. <laughs> at most. After <laughs> drinking too much. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty rare I feel the need uh, Who do you talk, talk about them with? I'm curious. <laughs> Me. With my daughter, maybe. <laughs> Oh, that, that sounds good. Like, that's not very heavy. Like, like, do you, um, how does your daughter feel about, like, your annual emotion? <laughs> <laughs> annual emotion. I'm choosing one this year. Story title. It's, it's not even always annual. It's just... <laughs> I'm choosing ennui this year. Period. <laughs> uh, I'll say, I'm sad I can't make it this spring festival. Mm. And that really sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Okay. Yeah, it does suck a lot. So let me see your new painting. What's what video games you playing now? The, no, they, you know you're not even being you fair. Move on with your life, right, Evan? You're not being fair. On Star Trek Next Generation, they have wonder, right? That's their emotion. They show up on some star system, some planet's about to, or, uh, no planet, stars about to go nova, and they look. Wow, look at that green screen. It's amazing. This, I feel privileged to just be here. Or Picard goes to some planet and does some archaeology and he says, this thing is 10,000 years old before humans ever stepped off of a, out of the sea or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, wow. But that's not the emotion you're talking about, right? <laughs> On yeah. Discovery. The emotions are, I feel conflicted about my feelings about you. Maybe. And them. <laughs> Is that what you're I, talking? You can't go on the way mission. We just formed our family. <laughs> I don't want to lose you. Few episodes, <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody's lost, and they come back as an android. Oh, I'm thinking of Picard. Uh, I think somewhere along the way, the writers of Discovery forgot that this is like the military. <laughs> is Starfleet the military? It is the military. It, 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 it is. It is a military organization, but it sometimes kind of cosplays as being not military. It depends on the episode, depends on the movie, depends on the movie, depends on what's going on. I mean, the whole cruise ship. I mean, I, I think it was in that. Uh, I was the whole cruise ship in space. Yeah, it's cruise ship in space with phasers and boats on torpedoes. Yeah, it's it's a military. It's the military of the Federation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Wesley's having classes. Uh, on the Enterprise D, but yeah, but the Enterprise D gets it. To, it gets it to fire no, they fights. deal with this like when they do that yesterday's Enterprise episode where the Federation's at war. It's like there are no kids on the Feder- on the starships anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They keep evacuating the Bajorans every time the mm-hmm. station's under threat, right, from war. 
It's just a military base, right? And there's lots of families living on military bases. It's no, no, um deep deep says I'm not sure if it's a military. It was definitely a Cardassian military base. What it is? No, now no, no. I'm I'm saying like it it's like an one because of the wormhole, right? Yeah, I'm saying it's like a um it's like an equivalent of an American military base. You go to an American military base and there's lots of houses with lots of housing with lots of humans and a PX and, uh, and everything. That's right. Hmm. I mean, Babylon. They have Fine, subways. Fine and, is not a military base, although it sometimes acts in the military function, especially as the late seasons go on. But like, so what? I, what I'm hearing though is that like, there's too much for for a certain faction. There's too many feelings in New Star Trek, and we, or like maybe even just the wrong feeling. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's just the writing sucks. Because uh, honestly, I like feelings if they're wonder. I don't like them if they're, I love you and you're dead, but now you're alive. Now I'm thinking, thinking, And you're also this Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. yeah, I cannot imagine a more tortured romance, though, between, like, Michael Burnham and, like, the Klingon that got turned into the man that she loved. Uh, right? I, uh, but they never, did they ever bang? Like, no, I mean, it's just like, to- I don't even know. I, I mean, think she waits point. till third season to have any sex and it's all off camera. It's really disappointing. You, there's all these like, weird sexual politics sex on camera in and Star almost Trek no usually? sex. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, Dax there's is the beginning of sex. The, the, no, there's yeah. the, 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 well, da- no, Dax has sex with the uh, Worf. Both Daxes have sex with. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, right? they do. And she touches all those guys' ears. The Umox is fucking everywhere, man. Yeah, they talk <laughs> a lot more about sex in Old Trek. And Kirk's kissing on the ladies. Yeah, I mean, and then it fades to uh, was just a purr, space right? or whatever. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Let's look at the schedule. See if there's anything else to do besides this. Is uh, I like this. Um, is it a short book? No, yeah, yeah we have to add uh, it. It's not on yeah, this. Let's add red plenty, and then I wanna, I wanna at some point. Uh, I don't want to like bore. Uh, Evan and Misa with this necessarily, but I want to talk to Jesse about Planet Stories. Oh, please. I'm very excited about that. I have that. to go to bed anyway, so I'll just go. All right, good night. I know I oh, before, wait, wait, wait. Uh, let's, let's book Mars Red Plenty. Yet. Clouds? Uh, yeah, that's uh, three weeks from now. Yeah. yeah. That looks like wait, so what, what day are we doing Red Plenty? Uh, well, we can put that on now if, if it looks like Paul's in there. Uh, is uh, 2 7 okay, February 7th for you? Good? I think so. Yeah. Everybody? My say yeah. you're in uh, for yeah, that, right? February 7th? Yeah. Yep. Paul's going to put it in there. Red, red Cloud by No, who? no. Red Plenty by Spofford. Red Plenty. Mentioned in the Four Futures. Yeah. And red Plenty by... It's, a, it's on the list at the bottom, I think. Is it? It's yeah, Francis there it is. Spofford. It says, Misa, Will, Evan, uh, with a question mark, and Brian. Oh, we're already there? It, no, it's oh, at the bottom there. there it is. Pick it up. It Not bed plenty. Yeah. Bed plenty, that's that's uh, set on... Plenty. Bed plenty is set on um, Risa. Risa. <laughs> <laughs> bed plenty, that's that's Evan's book. <laughs> no, no, it's going to be something to do with a, c- a commander's guide. Okay. I, I, right? I and then you have Riker sitting... Riker's that. guide to Risa. Yeah. I, uh, Evan, it has to have lots of pictures, like GIFs of, of Riker looking at um, that hologram of ladies dancing from, like, first season. He's in his quarters enjoying a light show or whatever it is. It's before they did recreational holodeck sex. He's just, like, having yeah. a, a couple of ladies 
dancing on his table, on his coffee table. That's his TV. <laughs> it's such a weird scene. <laughs> it's like, this is the future entertainment. But by uh, deep into Deep Space Nine, they're, they're talking about, they're, uh, they talk about, they never show it, but they talk about uh, doing the Alamo over and over again. Like yeah. it, and it's like, oh, this is really good. But um, Vic, uh, what what's the singer guy name? Vic Vic Lafontaine. Vic Lafontaine. Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine. Yeah, Vic Fontaine um, is. He shows up in the mirror universe as an actual human, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's shot. Yeah, know. yeah, it was crazy. His hair was amazing, um, and uh, that heist episode I tweeted about. Oh my god, that's such a good one. But I think the best Star Trek episode ever. Is the baseball episode because because it's so good because because no I think it's like the best episode because the the it's a it's a, about racism kind of so the Rom not the Romulus the Vulcan ship shows okay. up they're there to show up uh, the commander Cisco right and he's like okay I'm gonna take this challenge and then he puts together a ragtag team of terrible players except. You know, the worst one is Rom. He's like, you're cut from the team. And then at the end, he, like, r- put Rom's in. Rom bunts accidentally, doesn't even know how, what he's doing. And they lose. <laughs> lose spectacularly. And it's very important that they do all of this. And it's because they're having fun. It's the way I treat computer games. You know, Paul, and, and the, and the if we don't get a chicken dinner, it's not the end of the world. It's, no, it's about I, socializing. I, I, do I do I still play PUBG with you, even though I gripe I'm terrible at it? Yes. Uh, well, you're and, not and playing much. I noticed you're playing a lot of. Why they're having fun, even though they got their uh, their uh, asses handed to them. That's that's a very interesting and good message at the end. It's a, like, it's wonderful. Fun, you know, you and there's a equally good one in that um, the Ocean's Eleven episode because they all they're all really excited about helping Vic. Right, and then this character who created all these holograph graphic programs—we never meet him on camera at all. His name is Felix. He's the one who created the spy one for Julian. Um, it, I, I, he created a Vic, right? He created a lot of programs, and it turns out that this change-up uh, will threaten Vic in real life, like his real life. Right? He he might die. And so everybody becomes fascinated and I think it's important, except for Cisco, who's like, this is bullshit. Get back to work. And then his girlfriend, become wife in a, in a couple episodes, is like, this is really important. Vic's important to me. And Rom's like, I'm there for you, Vic. Because <laughs> Rom had his leg shot off, right? And, and they all come together to pull off a heist. It's like a role-playing game thing where there's actual some consequence to an actual possible friend. It's the perfect of uh, explaining future future uh, media because it's not podcasts, it's not YouTube, it's not uh, it's plays, it's not radio drama. It's something else, and it's exercise too. Right? You you physically go in there and you bat the ball around and then you fight Don D'Artagnan and I mean it's the perfect media. It is so cool. And they do such a great job with it that uh, you you got to say this is this is peak Star Trek peak deep, peak deep, peak Deep Space Nine. Why didn't they go like four, five, six, seven more seasons? 
I wish. Dude, it was getting so good. Even the mediocre episodes are like, eh. There is like, oh, it's not the end of the world because you get that little character development stuff. And wow, mm-hmm. so good. So good. Yeah, I would have liked to see them do more with Ezri. It was like that car- that actor leaving. Yeah, she was guess, really sad. good. But Jerry what they Farrell, did with Ezri, you know? I think this. Yeah. Uh, Ezri's even more fun because we have all that relation yeah. between Ezri and. And, uh, but like we carry that. It's like, it's like Doctor Who when they don't reboot it, right? They. You have that relationship with the past character, and there's callbacks mm-hmm. to it. It's perfect. So yeah. I'm 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 down for a Star Trek episode, a Star Trek series set on Risa. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just like you have, uh, you know, a Barkley style character who can't cu- stop coming back. You have a Morn style character who lives at the bar and is hooking up with everybody. And they say, "Why don't you just work here instead of like." Taking all your vacations here, and it's well, you know, uh, people need me off. <laughs> and then they have little minor adventures like uh, you have in Deep Space Nine in between the battle scenes. Of, uh, it's like Cheers, but Cheers Sci-Fi. Yeah. yeah. Why not? If you do it animated to save on save on costs, but you might get compared to Lower Decks, and I know Jersey doesn't like Lower Decks. It's just not. It, it's the best Star Trek put out in the 21st century. You know, started. <laughs> You're saying yeah, that's a very low bar for you. I it's know. really not a good show. It, it, I mean, it's acceptable in a certain sense. I didn't finish watching it, but it's just not. It's not funny, and mm-hmm. it's not Star Trek in the sense that it's it's a uh, science fiction. It's it's about Star Trek, but that's not the same thing. I mean, they don't advance it's anything. Star Trek shoutouts. That's exactly what it is. It's Star Trek shoutouts. I mean, it, it, it feels better than watching Picard, where I feel like I'm being insulted and punched. Pummeled. <laughs> Pummeled. Yeah. And, you know, Discovery is, like, not Star Trek. I, I looked up, um, there's still no date for uh, the next season of Orville. But I keep thinking about um, that actress who's who's the uh, husband of, or wife of, Cisco, she's on that show, and she was really yeah. good on that show. So it, it's kind of they a continuation. They put a lot of Star Trek people in that show. Yeah, yeah, and rightly so. Mm. All right, I'm out. Good night. I'm out of here. Red plenty good for night, you. Evan. Yeah, I should yeah. Uh, head out as well. Thank you, Mysie. Mysie, you're on The Hound. The, the Hound's yeah, coming that, up. Is that 10 p.m. my time? It's 10 p.m. your time. You doable? That- That's on a Saturday, two weeks from now. Yes. Yes. I uh, okay. You can do Just it. confirming Stand the time. Stand up late. Yep. Three hours difference. Yep. Remind yeah. me I, who I, that's by. That's the that's HP Lovecraft. HP. Uh, yeah. I'm sad. I'm going to miss the next two weeks, but I have. Yeah, you're gaming at those times, right? Saturday nights. Yeah. Yeah. So I. We. This is what we do for like our Australian friends. Numbers on Paul. Screw <laughs> 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 like, you! We'll gain numbers. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like that's just my like, yeah. <laughs> do it well, Evan. Yeah. Uh, are you still with us? All right, see you guys. Bye, Paul. Bye. Um, I just wanted to mention. Uh, we also added Starship by Paul Anderson to the bottom. Um, that's on a Saturday with Scott. Um, that's a new LibriVox pulp Planet Stories book. So I assume Will's going to want to be on that. Unless you hate yeah. planet stories, and I also am like a, a fan of Scott. So yeah, he's a good he's a good dude. Yeah. 
I can't edit this website for some reason, so I'm going to get into the... Alright. There's the mic work. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank so you, Misa. I'll see you guys uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and on Twitter, like, tomorrow. And, and Twitter, and yeah, I'll send you a doggy yeah, pic probably, or something. Probably every day. Every day. <laughs> you every day. I look forward to it Puppy every pics day. every day. Yeah, same, actually. <laughs> um, Mr. Meg, wonderful news. Yeah, no, great news. And I'll, oh, yeah. I'll, you, I'll, uh, I'll invite you guys to the wedding. <laughs> I don't know if Jesse will come. But you're invited. It's on Zoom. I'll be so awkward. I, uh... Oh, yeah. So excited. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't, won't be asked to dance, will I? No, because uh, it, it will be more like you're I'll watching a show. I'll ask you to dance, Jesse. Right. Right. Oh, that, that, yeah. I'm yeah, like... Should, uh, no. yeah. Somehow we have to have a Christmas party some year. I don't know. Uh, uh, We'll fi- we'll figure it out. We'll pick a or maybe I'll just write an audio drama of a Christmas party. Um, that sounds good. A cowboy Christmas party. Do it. Cowboy Christmas party. Uh, I think um, that's reasonable. Uh, something uh, uh, Spurs and mistletoe. Uh, <laughs> uh, Spurs. Um. Yes. Yes. Uh. So. Uh, yeah. You. Uh. Yeah. See you tomorrow, Misa. <laughs> You still here, Justin? I'm here. You want to? Yeah. Are you starting the Planet Stories podcast? I hope. Yeah, let's talk about the Planet Stories podcast. Okay. I think I've like talked myself into the. I need to do the Planet Stories podcast, awesome. but I need to talk to you about like, oh, what doing a podcast was it would entail, mm-hmm. and like, uh, like so you already do two podcasts a I week. I do. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's like, uh, so obviously I understand that uh, this isn't like. Uh, Jesse, do a new podcast with me because uh, you like don't have time to do like a third podcast. It'd be very um, hard to do uh, three podcasts a week full time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think that I can. Uh, I don't think I can produce uh, a weekly podcast by myself at any time, like in the like very near future. So it wouldn't be that. Uh, but it doesn't have to be. Also, so that's, that's right. Cool. You can make it a monthly. You can do it. Uh, that's what I was bi-weekly. Um, and the other thing you can do is you build up a whole bunch before you start, and then. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's um, a good idea, just because it's going to be so easy with all those new LibriVox things that are coming, I think. you know. Yeah, so LibriVox, is, so LibriVox is actively producing them. We wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't have to, like, produce them myself. Yeah, I, 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 let's just have a look. Um, so I haven't gone to the LibriVox and just searched recently, but I know there's at least some. I obviously am tweeting about the Gutenberg things. Uh, but there is a, there's also a... Um, a little bit of lag between the two, right? But, but yeah. obviously Phil Chenevere is uh, very into this stuff. So he's doing a lot. Um, let's look at this. It's a forum. The forum, and then we search Planet Stories and see what people are coming up with. Because they, they won't call it that, but some of, some of them should say it. All right, no, that's not working. Put a double quote around so it. A lot of planets, st- like I'm. So obviously, uh, the the background of this is a lot of planet stories is coming into the public domain right now. Well, they always were, but they're on yeah. Gutenberg, which means. Um, oh, they're okay. So people are uploading them in a way that they weren't before. Yeah. So the way LibriVox works is they only put up things that are on Gutenberg unless you are really good at convincing them that it's. So, like, if it's 1925 or earlier, right? But Planet Stories is all 50s or 40s and 50s. So, um, just because Jesse has it up doesn't mean they'll do it. They won't do it, in fact. 
Well, we should build a library separate from theirs also. Like, of course, like, of course. It's like it's good hygiene. Right? It, like, and uh, honestly, what I'd like you to do is stuff that, you know, if you can if you can get it, is put stuff in Canadian servers, put stuff in places so that we can be a copyright or public domain maximalists rather than... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I liked Peter's term there. I don't know if that's a common term. but Copyright maximalism? Yeah. It's it's a fairly common usage term. I, I don't okay. know most of the terms everybody was throwing around today, but that, that one I do know about. Yeah, copyright maximalism is a thing. Um, so, like I, I, I keep telling people so like all of ian fleming is basically public domain i think ian fleming's cool but i can't get in her narrators because you know it's canada right so i I could host it on my server i'd be happy to host your your stuff on my servers if you like just give you redirects and stuff um but no matter what happens um you want to make it as easy to flow and easy to do as you can right Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. It's like, um, I like my the way I think about creative projects right now is I'm like gonna start by doing like, uh, like, uh, like the simple version of the thing I'm interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Even if like there's lots of things I want to do, I want to start with the simple version, um, so I don't like let myself get overwhelmed. Yep. Uh, no. So Scott is very good at getting himself overwhelmed. That's why he has had so many podcasts go right and comes and goes but he you know he manages to uh not mostly delete his old content which is good um but you know he 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 overcommits and this i see this a lot that guy from um starship sofa he overcommitted he he kept starting new podcasts and you know you can only run you have limited hours and you don't want to make it a task you want to make it fun right the reason planet stories is a good idea is because it's planet stories. It's fun, right? Well, and you know, like, like some, like, I guess the way I'm thinking about it is like, uh, so I have, I have a lot of feelings about planet stories as a magazine. It's not a magazine I've like read enough of, like, mm-hmm. so that's like one reason. This is why a I'm good project. It.